You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ah, got him. That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, The Mandalorian, The Clone Wars, Jedi Fallen Order, and all the other awesome projects coming up in the Star Wars universe. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I've got my co-hosts, Tim and Paul, with me. How's it going, guys? What's up, guys? Excited for this one to finally be talking about something (laughs) that's been in the making for a few weeks now since Celebration uh, Chicago. So this should be a fun one. Looking forward to talking about the first ever live action Star Wars show in great detail. So should be fun. Uh, sorry, I'm still trying to swallow this gummy worm on a medium. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously really, really excited because I was there. Uh, I was one of the lucky people to get there. I know there's a, that's a very controversial thing about having only con footage, you know, and bootlegs and, all that stuff. But, you know, obviously you guys already talked about it, you know, a little bit from the information standpoint, but obviously we'll, we'll kind of dig, dig into like kind of the more of the visuals and all, obviously my experience while I was there and kind of my, uh, my two cents, if you will. But yeah, I'm really excited to talk about the Mandalorian because I think this is a bigger deal than we, I've, I've been saying this for a long time. I think this is going to be a bigger deal than we all think it's going to be. So that, but we'll get into that a little, a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I mean, like you said, Tim and I talked about this after Celebration, kind of just did a brief overview of it and some of the information that they revealed in the panel. But there's lots of footage that we haven't talked about yet that still has not been officially released. But of course, we've got the bootlegs on YouTube and stuff. And I don't know if they're still up there, but we've saved them. Um, So this may be new for some of you that haven't seen this yet, or uh, if it's still up there, I would definitely recommend checking it out. Um, And then, of course, Paul, you were there in the room when they showed it. So... uh, yeah, this should be uh, be fun to finally talk about. Um, but let's jump right into it. Um, and let's do just kind of a quick recap of the stuff that they revealed at the panel. Um, so obviously we know The Mandalorian is the first live-action Star Wars series. Uh, it takes place a few years after Return of the Jedi. Um, it's sort of executive produced and written and created by Jon Favreau, who's working in close collaboration with Dave Filoni, um, who's directing the first episode, uh, stars Pedro Pascal as the Mandalorian, um, as well as uh, Gina Carano, Carl Weathers, and several other people that I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, they you know, they showed just sort of the first looks at some of these characters, gave brief kind of descriptions of who they're playing and and just the setting and everything. Um, 
But um, yeah, I guess before we get into talking about the footage, um, let me ask you, Paul, I mean, what was just kind of your overall experience of like the panel itself or maybe like your even your expectations going into it? Mm. Well, I think from from all that we've all talked about, I've been really excited about the Mandalorian just because I love Mandalorians. I love the, obviously the costumes being the superhero guy that I am. And I know Tim can kind of second this a little bit. I'm very partial to costumes. And I think that if you grew up, grew up, I mean, everyone loves cool looking costumes, right? But I think that if you grew up loving superheroes, you tend to like the full, you know, full covered costumes more than most people. Maybe that's, maybe I'm just me being weird, but that's, that's for me anyway. I think that's where my love of the Mandalorians comes from. People always ask like, why do you like Boba Fett so much? And it's because he looks amazing. I mean, let's just be real. And yes, mm -hmm. he's not like, it's not like he has a lot to do in the movie, but doesn't need to. He looks amazing. And I'm, that's, I think, my comic book superhero background where we would see characters, you know, in costumes all the time. And we wouldn't have to know what they were doing at all times. We just thought they, they thought they looked cool. And they didn't maybe not have, had a lot of dialogue in the comics itself, but whatever. So I think that, like, for me, and a lot of people, I think a lot of people love Boba Fett because of how he looks. And I think that there's there how the Mandalorian uh, culture and history, both in canon and in Legends and in, like, real time, us living, like, with the uh, evolution of the Clone Wars and things like that, Mandalorian ended up being, like, a really – it becomes a very big kind of uh, idea that people are, can get behind and get really excited about. And so – I think that um, with all this, it was just kind of, for me, I, I was just jazzed for it. I, I know a lot of people, for the most part, were jazzed, for the most part. I mean, there's a lot of things to be excited about. The fact Dave Filoni's a big part of the show. He's got Bryce Dallas Howard and a great diverse cast of uh, cast and directors working on the show. Um, you know, but from the very start of it, I've always been the person that on the show been basically saying... I'm really excited about this because not just because it's John Favreau, but it's a very inspired John Favreau. I always go back to the fact that this show was is very inspired. It's not like it's conjured up from a Lucasfilm approached John Favreau and said, "Make us a TV series." And he was like, "I got an idea," and uh, it's because you told me to come up with it. I came up with it. No, no, this came up all of the, all very organically in his head, and he wanted to tell the story. Now, granted, it's you know commercial. I get it. I get it. But let's let's be real. It's it's it comes from a very obvious passion of his, of John Favreau. And going to the panel, you know, you kind of expected the, the run of the mill kind of ideas, right? Like, okay, it's going to have John Favreau sit down with Dave Filoni and, and some uh, annoying host will be like, Hey guys, tell us about the Mandalorian, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's gonna be, that's what I expected. Now, much, much to my immediate surprise, that there was no host. It was all Dave Filoni and John Favreau going off of one another and talking about the show. And I was blown away of how passionate John Favreau came across. I mean, you, I saw, I, 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 you, everything's subjective, right? I understand. Everything is subjective. But it blew me away that some people criticized there was no host on that panel. Yeah, I, I saw a little of that too. Not believe that. I couldn't disagree more. And they're like, well, we should have like flowed more. And I'm like, no, no, no. Give me that every panel because I'd rather have that 
than any A-list celebrity like Stephen Colbert. I and mean, I love Stephen Colbert, but like, I, I don't need a host. I want passion. And that's what we saw. And that was, that was oozing from Jon Favreau. I mean, obviously you see that on the YouTube, but it was just being there was like, man, dude, Felt it guys, more, huh? <laughs> yeah, he, you could, this is mannerisms. And you know, when he walking, when he's walking around the stage and you can just tell he is jazzed for this. And this is the same guy who's working on, you know, so many different projects. He's got his Netflix show. He's got the Lion King. He's got whatever else going on. I mean, he's got a lot going on. And then you can tell this guy went out of his way to come to Celebration, talk with Jon Favreau, and, and with Jon Favreau, not just like, oh, hey, I'm going to be interviewed. No, no. They did the interviewing, and they talked. And, like, how, you know, this. I think nothing sums it up best but when uh, they had, like, that little reel come on, the, the not sizzle reel, but, like, kind of, like, with them being interviewed and things like that. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever I don't know if you call it a sizzle, sizzle reel or not. But. Yeah, yeah, I would call it a sizzle reel. I mean, okay. we've had we've had them show reels like that from uh, like the movies at previous like Comic Cons and stuff, where like it's not a full blown trailer, but like there's a little bit of footage, there's a little bit of behind the scenes footage, there's a little right, bit of like right. people talking about it. So yeah, I'd call that a sizzle right. reel. So and, and right afterwards, job lights come up and everyone's freaking out just after that, right? Which we we have no idea what what's in store for us, and. And John Favreau just goes, "Oh yeah, I, I was supposed to say don't don't record that." I mean, yeah. he, <laughs> you you can just tell he's like, uh, "Whatever." Like I just he doesn't care. Like, you know, I mean, whether whether or not he meant to say it or not, it doesn't matter. Just the way he said it was very like, "Oh yeah, okay, whatever." I want to I want to keep. I'm I'm too excited to talk, stop talking about this. You know, I mean, he he just he just wanted to keep going. He just didn't care, and I think that was so rad. And I yeah, so being there in the actual venue, you saw. What's his name? Uh, Dave Filoni is just kind of the same all the time. He's kind of eh, cool. <laughs> you know, he's just always <laughs> whatever. He's very, yeah, like, Dave, Dave plays it low key. Yeah. But at the same it. time, at the same time, you can tell that he's kind of like more passionate about it than he lets on. Like, like, I don't know that anybody is a bigger Star Wars fan in the universe than Dave Filoni. Like, the, and they they hinted at a couple times during Celebration, I think maybe during the Clone Wars panel, they referenced the fact that, like, the year before he started working on Clone Wars, he was a fan in line for the Midnight Show of Revenge of the Sith in a Plo Koon costume. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. he knows his stuff, he's super passionate about it, he's just, you know, when it comes to interacting with the fans and showing stuff off, he's always just, you know, real chill and low-key about it. Yeah, and so I, I, that was all evident there. And I think when the cast came on, and and that was the thing too that it was really exciting. The cast seemed really excited, and it wasn't just, again, it wasn't it wasn't fake. And I've been to a, I've been to a lot of these celebrations now, which is weird to say because I you know five six years ago I'd never gone to one. Now I've gone to like three, which is awesome. You know, going after, you know, these three, I've gone to the panels. You could see where people are kind of like, you know, who are they're into it, but they're just kind of there because they're obligated kind of a thing. And mm -hmm. this was not the Mandalorian panel. Like, this was probably the most excited I've seen people in a long time. And I think that that John, with the exception of John Boyega, John Boyega was excited at the Force Awakens panel. Uh, obviously, Oscar Isaac, Daisy Ridley, the Force Weekends panel, they were they were excited and happy, and you know, but it wasn't. This was oozing out of even the cast. Like Pedro Pascal was all like, almost doing backflips. It felt like mm -hmm. from everything. Yeah, and they they were just like 
kind of geeking out about it. And like you said, the fact that, like, I can understand why some people kind of wanted more structure to it, maybe wish there was a host, but I liked that they were all just kind of, you know, that it wasn't a structured interview. They were all just kind of like shooting from the hip and just like, hey, what else should we talk about? How exciting is this? Like how much fun we're having on set and everything. And I think it was uh, Gina Carano. Didn't she say like she thinks that her work on this show is like her best acting work yet? Yeah, yeah. Or she, it's like the performance she's most proud of. And Pedro Pascal was just gushing about how cool the Mandalorian is and the armor and the idea of the character and all that. Yeah, it, it was just one of those things where I, I, it, with her, it's a little different. She's obviously an action, an action, an action uh, actress, right? Like she's not, she's not really known for her uh, acting ability. Oh yeah, so. well, I mean, she's known for being an MMA fighter. Right, exactly. So the fact that like this, and I was watching a, uh, I think it was like maybe one of the Jedi like uh, Council on Collider at some point, and they had, and actually, you know, for the one good thing they actually said about anything, um, they basically uh, said uh, their greatest point was John Favreau basically, you know, went up to her and said, "This is from now on, you're going. This is going to change your 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 life. This role is going to change your whole career." And gave her a lot of confidence. And I think that was really cool. Like he just kind of, he gave her the confidence to be an actress and to like, and it, it helped her. It seemed like that was the impression that I got from both the panel and what they were kind of talking about in, in a recent interview with her. And I thought that was really interesting. And I think that's evident through, you know, maybe why she says that, like it's her favorite time because she got to really show off her acting ability, maybe improve and, and really like show that she can really carry herself in a, in a, in a, in a leading role. And that's really exciting because obviously she's got the like physical, uh, you know, action chops cause she's in Deadpool and she's great in that. And in just a, the, the few shots we've seen in this, uh, in these teasers, it's great. She's great in it. She looks amazing. So there's just lots and lots of, uh, cool stuff that like we were, we're getting. And, um, you know, it's yeah. It, it, like I said, being there was just really special because you just didn't, you just didn't know what you're gonna get. You knew we we're gonna get footage. We just didn't know how much. And I'll be honest, we got way more than I thought we were going to get. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, when I found out how much stuff they showed there, and you know, saw it all on YouTube afterwards, I thought there was just gonna be a trailer, um, or maybe a couple clips or something. But um, and we'll we'll get to all the descriptions of this later. I want to go over just like a few more details first. But basically, and then that was... just made me think. You couldn't release just one of those officially, just one. <laughs> yeah, it would have been nice. And I'm sure we'll get them at some point um, as we get closer to release. But um, yeah, so I mean, we got that sizzle reel like we talked about. And then they showed like a full five minute scene um, and then like a minute and a half ish. Ten like, minute teaser trailer. Wait, what? It was ten minutes. The scene was? Yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, it's pretty lengthy. It's, it's well, long. okay, it's so pretty much two scenes, actually. Yeah. Oh, there might be one that I missed then. Well, we'll we'll talk about that. Um, and you can see, I mean, I don't know if maybe they showed something there that didn't end up online, but like the stuff that I downloaded, I've got it at, uh, I've got a three minute clip and then a seven minute clip, which is like the f like six minute scene and then like a one minute trailer at the end. Um, and then they also had showed like a little kind of like a little behind the scenes clip of some of the ILM guys like designing the ship like in their garage and then just doing, you know, some of like the lighting passovers on it and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, a lot of they showed a lot of stuff there, a lot of cool combinations of like, you know, 
like we said, clips and scenes and trailers and behind the scenes footage and just giving you a little bit of everything. Um, but uh, yeah, just a few more details, like we said, about the characters and stuff. Um, so Gina Carano is playing a shock trooper named Cara Dune, who is a former uh, rebel shock trooper who is kind of acclimating to, you know, how do you go back to sort of normal life in the galaxy now that the rebellion doesn't have an empire to fight. Um, and then we've got Carl Weathers playing Grief Karga, who's like the head of the Bounty Hunters Guild, um, who kind of is, I don't know if he's like a mentor to the Mandalorian or just kind of like his boss or the guy that he gets his jobs from. Um, we also see, um, gosh, what's his name? Um, Werner Herzog um, playing this like shady Imperial guy. Um and some more, you know, characters and appearances and stuff that we'll talk about in the footage. Um, but it seems like those are kind of going to be some of, like, our, our main uh, characters right there. Um, and like I said, it was just Pedro and Gina and Carl who they had uh, out on the stage. And like I said, just the way that they all talked about their characters and were just kind of beaming and gushing about how cool it was to be a part of this. And just, like, the pride that they all take in their work. Um and like you said, Paul, I mean, I feel like, like, yeah, Gina Carano maybe hasn't had as much of a chance to like stretch her acting chops as much. And she does kind of just get, you know, cast in physical roles and stuff. And this definitely seems like it's going to be a physical role. I mean, based on some of the stuff that we see um, just in the trailers and stuff. But still, I mean, even like you said, she's been in, in Deadpool and so like she's been pretty good in some of the stuff that she's been in. Um, I think was she in one of the Fast and Furious movies, too, or am I thinking of Ronda Rousey or have they both been in it? Uh, I, I hate the that franchise, so I have no idea besides Vin Diesel's in it. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, yeah. I mean, she's she's been in <laughs> some pretty boat. she's been in some pretty big name stuff. So for her to, you know, say that, hey, this is my best work yet. Um, again, like I said, it's just it's one thing for people to show up and be like, oh, yeah, it's cool. And I grew up on Star Wars and everything. But like you could tell that everybody involved in this just seems to be having a blast with it and seems to be really invested in it and really care about. Uh, the work that they're putting in and wanting to make this thing the best that they can. Um, but let's talk about, um, you know, just jump into some of the footage here and let's talk about that first sizzle reel. Um, and again, like just showing, you know, kind of a mix of like our first look at some actual footage. It starts out with um, the Mandalorian on, looks like he's on like a snowy planet. Um, and again, Paul, you can correct me on stuff if you remember what it was like actually being there, because this YouTube footage is pretty bad quality um, and kind of out of focus and stuff. Yet still what? Captures, bad quality, but yet it still captures yeah. how awesome Oh yeah, <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm saying just in terms of small details, like there's stuff you might miss here as far as like what the environments are actually like yeah. or whatever. But I mean, you see him walking down this kind of uh looks like a walkway that's laid down over some ice or something and he's like following a tracking beacon um you know walks into a building and i mean again just the way that it's staged and shot and everything it, they're totally nailing both the star wars aesthetic and that really cool like old western outlaw gunslinger like this guy walks into a room and everybody kind of gives him side eye and goes whoa who's that or like they already know this is a guy that you don't want to mess with um, so it's like without n knowing anything about the character or like who he actually is or what his personality is like or anything, it's just one of those things that immediately, I mean, it, it captures that feeling of, like you said, Paul, of like why so many people love Boba Fett, right? Like he's just 
eye-catching and you go, well, there's something about that guy. Like there's something mysterious or something intriguing or something menacing about him. And I don't know what it is, but I'm I'm intrigued and I want to know more. And then even when he ends up having like five minutes of screen time in the movies and not really doing much, he's still one of people's favorite characters. Yeah. Um, and and I think they're taking that concept and just running with it with the Mandalorian. And that could propel the whole show easily. It's funny that you're saying that and making the comparisons to how we felt about Boba Fett, because I got to be honest, when I first watched it, even when I'm rewatching it before we started recording when i see maybe just this opening sequence where you just see the mandalorian he doesn't say anything but he has this really cool presence it almost feels like boba fett to the point where i'm thinking man i kind of wish this was boba fett and that's only because you know we don't know anything about the character just yet we know a little bit but i'm sure over the course of the series this character that pedro pascal is playing is going to you know establish his own identity probably show that he is very different from boba fett but until we get to see the series and his character progression and his arc that he goes through this season. I just can't help but have that feeling. But man, since we're familiar with Boba Fett already, it just would be awesome if it was him, <laughs> that legendary bounty hunter back. But I just couldn't help but shake that vibe. But it just goes to the point where you're talking about just that look that the Mandalorian helmet has, just how powerful it is to evoke that cool feeling you get when you see it and just that presence that it evokes. It just really captured it again. Just even this crappy bootleg video <laughs> footage that we got, we get that feeling. I just can't imagine what it was like seeing that on a giant screen in an auditorium looking as amazing as I'm sure it did. <laughs> well, let me let me kind of explain how how it was, how it came off, because we're, we're going to break it down a little bit, obviously, in a second. But, you know, if I may, Kyle, uh, just kind of jump into that. If that's yeah. cool with you. Um, so so as you guys know, I, I'm I'm very much this was I got this panel through the, you know, by chance. It was all by chance. I got into the episode nine panel because I had I knew some people that had extra tickets by a miracle. And, and that was, you know, but this was if I couldn't get episode, I wanted either episode nine of the Mandalorian. I got this one and I, the Mandalorian. And I was really excited for the whole uh, lottery. So I felt like I won the lottery still. I'm like, you know, I don't care. I got the Mandalorian. I'm super stoked. So going into this and knowing we we're going to get footage. It was like, OK, it's cool. We got the sizzle reel that looked incredible, but I have to say, the obviously the teaser trailer or whatever the trailer, whatever you want to call it, you know, was out there, uh, was looked amazing too. But what I have to comment on is the actual like 10 minutes of footage we got because they said it, it, I remember John Favreau said it's like we have about 10 minutes of footage for you, and then the or maybe it's like 10 minutes total, but there's like a couple minutes is the uh, teaser at the end they, t- they show. Mm. But anyway, yeah, I, I think between everything that they showed, it was probably about 10 minutes. And that would make sense. But it was definitely longer than five. It, it's it's a good it's a good chunk of you know film they showed you. So, what you know, for someone like me who loves who loves Star Wars, as we all do, and just seeing everything on, on a great giant screen like that, it was really detailed. And I have to say that. You like just seeing everything was like, whoa, this is really surreal. And seeing like just setting the tone right off the bat with the salacious scrums, uh, lizard, you know, or the what do you want to call them? Clocky the uh, monkey lizards, yeah, clocky and uh, monkey lizards. They like having them like one being roasted and one in a cage. I gotta like, say, that was my least favorite part of the footage. <laughs> I, no, I felt well, sorry for that little monkey. Lizard I know, I know, I know saying. you did, I know you did, but but I, I have to say, but they got it. Like, yeah, it was like that was like Star Wars to me. Yeah, that's like, how it would be on a planet like that. Yeah, so totally and I it. was like, what? And seeing it in the cage, I'm like, what? I mean, immediately, 
I, I was like, they got this. The tone is right. It's perfect. And Ryan, you know, sitting down with Carl Weathers and they're talking and all this stuff and, and whatever. Right. And I'm just sitting there like, Oh my goodness, this is this, the feel, the look, the dialogue, the, I mean, it just, it looked incredible. And as, and as he goes into, you know, talk to Warner Herzog and he's walking in, I'm just, this is, I'm like the whole time guys, I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be a giant hit. There's no doubt in my mind. And as he sits down and they're talking and I'm, I'm as I keep talking more and the way that they shot around everything. And I don't know who that director was. It might've been uh, Dave Filoni. I don't know. Well, if it's the first I'm guessing episode, it was, it's Dave Filoni's. Yeah. yeah. That seems like it would be from the first episode. Um, I mean, you're jumping way ahead to like the actual scene and everything, but well, right, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm just talking about the overall feeling. And what I, what I'm saying is, just the leaving the overall impression of that of seeing that that footage on a on a big screen on like probably I'm assuming the highest definition they have available at that point was it was really really special like I I and and I know the bootlegs look incredible and I think we all agree that you know this looks good even with bootlegs but I'm telling you when people I I can just seeing that scene in you know in person was just I was drawn in. And I haven't been drawn into a Star Wars thing in a long time, you know, probably since Rogue One, where I was really drawn into everything, you know, and Solo was, was more of a lighthearted romp, you know, kind of a thing. Whereas, you know, the Rogue One, a little more deeper, a little more at stake where the Mandalorian, I was immediately sucked in and I, I knew in, in, in my head, I'm thinking out loud to myself or thinking to myself, this is this is going to grab people like people who are just kind of average Star Wars fans are going to be into this. Like there's a lot of intrigue here. That I think people that that they that John Favreau and Dave Filoni and I would say mostly John Favreau has written and has given us in that first ten minutes that it's going to be perfect for people and I I have to say like I I, I think you know I'm you know we're going to talk about it more but I'm telling you right now I, I think this I know it's a no brainer but I keep saying this is going to be Game of Thrones ish in my opinion I really think so I think it's maybe not be the 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 height of Game of Thrones. But it's going to be in the ballpark, right? If, if, if Game of Thrones is a 10, then I think the Mandalorian is going to be a 7, if that makes any sense. Well, so, and I mean, court of public opinion, the Mandalorian could rise higher depending on how it sticks the landing. But, I mean, that's that's way too early to predict now because we have no idea, you know, if this is going right. to be, you know, how, how long this could go or how you know, how much of like a planned out story they have for it, or if it's just going to kind of be the continuing adventures of this character. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like, this is game of Thrones, like popularity. I think, Oh, I know. Like I'm just saying, you know, you're like, well, you know, if it's going to be, you know, probably not on that level, but I'm just saying overall, when it's all said and done, it very well could be that, that that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. So I just wanted to say that before we get into this, I, I had to say like leaving that, you know, I, I, I just, there's no doubt in my mind. I, I, that was the highlight of, of the, of the celebration for me was the Mandalorian footage by far. I mean, and there was, and to me, in my opinion, the reason Disney didn't release, or I think this is pretty obvious, but what I'll be honest, I don't blame them now. The reason they didn't release the, 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 uh, the footage is because the rise of Skywalker. Did not want to overshadow it because there's no doubt in my mind it already overshadowed it. And if the if they would have released that trailer the same weekend, 
there's no doubt like the rise of skywalker would have been buried no that might be a little strong at least for me no, anyway no, no, man, <laughs> yeah it's well and well we can kind of debate that too because i've heard mixed things about it um I, i've kind of heard two different two different opinions what i've heard some people agreeing with you paul saying that like they held back the the mandalorian footage because they didn't want to distract from the rise of skywalker whether that being um you know that they were whether they were afraid it was going to overshadow it and they thought that the mandalorian footage was better or they again just didn't want to distract from it and just wanted everybody's main focus on the rise of skywalker like that's one thinking but then i've also have heard some people who weren't as enthused about it and thought that you know maybe it wasn't completely finished yet maybe that this was you know they were just showing it to the fans at celebration to kind of whet their appetite but then they were still going to go back and polish it up some more before releasing it to the public um and again it's kind of hard for me to say one way or the other because obviously like the stuff that we see looks good but the fact that we're seeing it you know on youtube in crappy quality that people shot on their phones it really is hard to judge how finished and polished like the quality of the footage looks um so again, that's why, I mean, I'm glad we waited to talk about this till you got back and it's good to like get your impressions of like what it was like to be there in the room. Um, and I'm glad that you were so blown away by it. And that kind of gives me more hope for what this could be um, overall. And just knowing that, you know, seeing it up close and in, in high quality and high def and everything that it looked really good. Um, can I, can I, can I say that the energy level was on par with the force awakens energy trailer in my opinion mm, that's that that's to me when when they showed everything when they showed that teaser trailer at the very end when they had ig88 doing or with the ig droid and everything like it was people at least for me i felt the energy people were like holy crap like that was way better than, I, th I think we all expected it to be good i think it's already kind of meeting or exceeding people's expectations. I mean, granted, you're not going to make everyone happy, but I think that for the most part, the energy of that place was rocking way more, way more than, you know, how about this? The rise of Skywalker had the surprise of the return of Palpatine, which blew a lot of us away. And with the title of rise of Skywalker, but I will say that a lot of people, it seemed like, were just buzzing after. I mean, they are buzzing after that. The Mandalorian was just like, whoa, like this is next level kind of a thing. Whereas we were just genuinely surprised from The Rise of Skywalker. We were genuinely, I think a lot of people were genuinely like, holy crap, this is, we're in a new territory now. We'd never been in before. And that was the impression that I got. And that's the buzz that I think people were leaving in that was Force Awakens-ish. Like, we're in new territory. We're in the sequel trilogy. Now it's, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, we're in live-action Star Wars TV territory, and it's maybe the best TV series ever. I mean, I mean, that's the impression that I, I got from people around me. Everyone was jazzed. Yeah, well, so, and I don't, I mean, I, I obviously I don't disagree with you. Like, I wasn't there, but even just watching the YouTube videos, I can tell, like, you know, you can hear the noise of the crowd in the background as they're showing this footage and people are going nuts. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of people seem to be really excited about it. I'm not saying that, like, there was an overall mixed reaction to it. I'm just, I've heard some people um, maybe not quite as enthused about it as others, mm. or I have heard yeah. from, like, even from some people who were there at the panel saying, like, eh, it was good, but could have been a little better. Um, and I have my own thoughts about that as we get get on with it because there are 
there are aspects of this that maybe throw up not red flags for me, but maybe like slightly orange colored flags. But then there are other parts of it that I really am like, man, that looks just freaking amazing. Um, and overall, I feel really good about it. But um, I want to kind of go through that as we talk about it. Um, but I mean, the first thing they showed was the sizzle reel and everything in here, I think, looks great. Um, and I'm just kind of combing through some of the shots that they showed, like after that first little scene of the, the Mandalorian making his entrance. Um, and then we see like a shot of his ship, the Razor Crest, which I think looks really cool. Um, and I'll just say like in all the sizzle reels and like the trailer and everything, all the air, like all the space shots look fantastic. Um, and then there's a lot of stuff in here, both with the ships and just the action scenes that really, to me comes off as like, you can tell Dave Filoni is directing this because there's just something about it where it looks like, I mean, as much as like Clone Wars and Rebels feels like they did a good job of like translating the Star Wars universe to animation. Now it's like, you can almost tell that reverse process. Like it looks like a scene from the Clone Wars or Rebels in live action which should just look like live action Star Wars to begin with because it's all Star Wars. But I mean, you know what I mean? Like it almost mm -hmm. has that felony touch to it. Um, and it's going to need that because maybe out of everything, at least so far what we're seeing, the space stuff could be the hardest thing to pull off for live action TV on that budget and maybe not have it quite look the same as it would in the movies. But I mean, I don't think that's probably going to be an issue at all for the series, but that is one area that I think maybe you might be able to, notice a difference in quality but it doesn't look like it and I, I expect them not to spare no expense as far as making it look as good as it can to be almost at that movie quality and it's looking like that that's going to be the case so and again while you're saying that little Dave Filoni touch on there um you know he's going to deliver the goods when it comes to <laughs> capturing his vision and what he wants to put up there on screen just going to be in live action this time mm -hmm. well I and I think that too in my opinion and I just just guessing here I think there's not going to be a lot of space shots. That's true too. So yeah, that would probably not a making whole them look lot. as good as they can. And this I, obviously, it, this isn't a, uh, you know, this isn't set during the clone wars where there's going to be like massive space battles and fleets going at it. Um, but also we know like from the past, especially with clone wars, we hardly ever got any like big space battles. We maybe got like one or two per season and it was never for like a full episode. It was always just for a few minutes. And I'm guessing that even on an animation budget, it was probably hard to pull off all that stuff going on on screen at once and all those ships flying around and stuff. Um, so I think this probably will be a lot more like the space stuff that we do see will probably be more small scale, like one on one dog fights or, you know, chasing down one ship and not big fleet battles or anything like that. Not going to get the Battle of Coruscant just yet. <laughs> yeah, which I'm OK with because we've already had that. And well, I'm definitely it, it, not expecting this to be like on that grand of a scale. Exactly. I also think that too, from the footage we got, and just from the you know what we're talking about the space the space stuff, the one thing I would say is from judging from these teasers, I don't know if it, it might be a little, um, it might seem small in a sense to where they don't go anywhere. I remember, I remember some of my complaints about Rebels is that they were on the same planet forever, and I kind of get the same feeling for the Mandalorian. I think we're just going to be in the same place for majority of this the season. And I, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I just wonder if people are going to be complaining about that. Like, why don't they go anywhere? And I'm, you know, I just kind of, I think that's what they're going to do probably to save money. Does use the same sets and over and over again, obviously. 
Um, it'd be cool if they go to different planets, but I just don't see it happening. I think they're probably going to stick on. They're probably going to be in the same planet for I think for the whole season. I'd imagine. Well, yeah, that's I would, probably realistic expectations. I would say too. I yeah. mean, I would kind of disagree though. Just again, based on what we're seeing here so far, I, we see at least a handful of different locations. I mean, the first shot that we see in the sizzle reel. Well, the, I mean, the first scene that we see, he's on like this snowy looking planet. Um, then we see a shot uh, of his, yeah. we see a shot of his ship landing on what might be that same planet or what might be a different looking planet. It looks like there's like some, it's either a rocky landscape or maybe even like some like, uh, hardened lava or something like that with a lot of smoke coming up from it. Um, and then of course we've got what looks like Tatooine, um, and we've got a shot of like a guard or a bounty hunter guy again, looking like he's, he's standing on like a barren plain with smoke rising in the background and stuff. So, um, I mean, I don't think we're going to be going to like two or three different planets per episode, but I also think uh, there's also, there's a shot in here too, of like a space station, um, that's in orbit above a planet. And we do see at least a few shots of the ship. And, you know, I, I, I get the sense that, um, that there will be a fair amount of travel in here. And again, not that it's going to be a ton of galaxy hopping and that we're going to get, you know, three or four different planets per episode. But I mean, maybe every episode he's traveling to a different planet or maybe comes back and revisits some, but I would not expect that the whole season is going to take place on like one or two locations. Yeah. I, I I'm just curious because, because of the budget and things like that, but that's a good point. The opening shot of the, of the series is, is on a snowy planet, not on a, on a sand planet. So that is an interesting point. Um, but man, just, I mean, we don't have to go through every single shot that's in here, but again, just combing through, uh, some of the stuff, like, I think they really, and we talk about this a lot, but they're obviously nailing that star Wars look and feel, um, of just the environments and the characters. And I think they're really nailing something that worked really well for rogue one. Um, and I've talked about this a lot, how like, you know, one of my complaints with the sequel trilogy is that they try to make it feel too familiar, like, you know, relying on the original trilogy and we've still got X-Wings and TIE fighters and stormtroopers and all that kind of stuff where I want them to like step out and try something new. Whereas rogue one, is a perfect playground for them to go back and tell a new story, but in that time period of the original trilogy so that you can then kick in that nostalgia factor and bring in the X-Wings and the TIE Fighters and the Stormtroopers, and it doesn't feel redundant. It feels like it should be there, and you get to be back in that classic Star Wars time period again, and The Mandalorian feels exactly the same way, um, with it being just, I think it's like five years after Return of the Jedi, and so it's like things are maybe starting to change a little bit. And they've talked about how they are going to introduce, you know, not just new characters, but new species, new planets, uh, new alien races, stuff like that. Um, but also just in here, you know, we see, for example, like the Mandalorian on a dewback. Um, we see, you know, obviously familiar things like stormtroopers and TIE fighters and Mandalorian armor and aliens like uh, Twi'leks and stuff. There's a shot... Uh, and I think this is concept art, but it's a couple of scout troopers with speeder bikes. And again, they look, they're like the white speeder bikes that the stormtroopers um, would ride on Lothal in Rebels. And again, this is like, it's like a, you know, Dave Filoni's animated stuff coming to life in live action. Um, and so I think it's just going to be really cool to 
live in that familiar part of the Star Wars world again. And it's not going to give you that feeling of, oh, I wish it was more different because I think they're going to work in a lot of different stuff. Because if anything, we know that Dave Filoni is really good at that too, right? Like, you know, with the Clone Wars, we start out in that familiar time period between episode two and three, and we know the conflict that's going on with the clones and the battle droids and stuff. But then they bring in, bring in everything from Mandalore to Dathomir, which is to Darth Maul coming back to, you know, Mortis and... Uh, then in Rebels, like the world between worlds and all this stuff that we never imagined we'd be seeing. Um, and I know a lot of that came from George Lucas as well, but I'm just saying to start in that familiar space and then slowly branch out and introduce cool new ideas. And I'm sure several years into this series, we'll be seeing things and going places that we never would have imagined from this, you know, the simple premise that they're starting out with of just this lone Mandalorian gunfighter and kind of following his adventures in this uh, turmoil in the galaxy um, following the rebellion overthrowing the Empire. Um, and I think they, you know, it's really cool that they, you you can tell that they're really kind of leaning on this idea of um, what are the repercussions of this war and what is sort of this peace look like. I mean, obviously the rebellion has been fighting to overthrow the empire and thinking that it's going to create a better life for everybody. Um, but kind of playing into this idea that like, even though the empire was evil, the fact that they had such a tight control over things and kept order and rule in the galaxy. And now that they're gone, like a lot of the galaxy that is beyond the reach of the new Republic is just falling into chaos and lawlessness. So I think there's going to be, a lot of really cool opportunity to play with stuff that we know and that's familiar and kind of flip it on its head or show us new sides and new aspects of things. Um, and I think it's just going to be really cool to see where they go with it. Yeah. And of all the cool little glimpses we've got in the sizzle reel about, you know, we've seen different concept art, different creatures, aliens and troopers that they're bringing back. I, can I safely assume Paul that one of the most exciting pieces of art we saw was the blurgs <laughs> from the back oh, of that door. Or the shot we saw, too. That's right. <laughs> I mean, don't forget the shot. I mean, the blurgs are, oh, my goodness. As, as I people... just remember seeing it because I saw the sizzle reel first for, out of everything. When I saw it, I was like, oh, man, <laughs> they're bringing the blurgs in here. That was, I can't wait to see them in motion. That was, oh, man, that was... Because well, yeah, I remember I'm sitting next to Dave, uh, a.k.a. Father's Figures, on Instagram, the amazing toy photographer... Who's getting married this week, by the way? And I'm I'm flying out to Minnesota for his wedding. I'm, I'm in the wedding. It's very exciting. So congratulations, Dave. Yeah, congratulations, Mister Mister Father's Figures. Um. Anyway, uh. Yeah. So I'm sitting next to Dave, and uh, Dave and I are hardcore Ewok film fans. We are, and that is no. There's no hint of irony there either. We love those movies, and always will. And we are true defenders of them. And when those blurgs. First, the first when the blurs uh, were on the the concept art, me and him went, Aah! like like, out. <laughs> like I mean that was. I wish someone would have filmed that reaction. <laughs> oh, I I I was like, dude, we were so excited, and then when you saw the the, the freaking this this kind of blew our mind. Just this, the concept of this idea of a uh, oh what what do you call him the uh, ugnot the ugnot writing the uh, the blurg. It, you know, seeing it on a live action screen, we're like, what? I was just, I mean, that was <laughs> surreal and amazing because people who don't, you know, don't know who the Blurgs are. The Blurgs first appeared in Battle for Endor 
Uh, they're part of the Marauders, like Beast of Burden, if you will, in in that TV movie. And kind of like smaller versions of Doobags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think a lot of us know what Blurgs are because they've been very heavily featured on Ryloth in both the Clone Wars and Rebels. But I keep forgetting that they were in the Endor movies because I think you did mention that on a previous episode and I had completely forgotten about it. But I saw them and I was like, oh, cool. Dave's bringing those in from Clone Wars. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and so I personally... I really like the idea that they're using different things. And I love the fact that, you know, those are still living they're around to this day. I love, I love the blurks. I think they're a great looking character creature, you know? So, and again, a call back to the battle for Endor. So that was, that was, it's just really cool to see that. And that and again, Dave using the old stuff and still using it as a way of giving us something new and different, but yet something familiar. And, I don't know. Like I said, having them, it was, it was again, justifying the battle for Endor films. It just makes me happy. So yeah, that's all I have to say about that. And another thing that stood out to me is actually the very next shot after we get that concept art of the blurred. That was kind of hard to tell from the bootleg if it's like actual footage being shot or if it's concept art, but there's like these creatures, like these savages almost kind of look like orcs a little bit kind of, making their way out of the forest into the swamp, almost like they're going to raid a village or something. You see laser blasts going by. And that kind of stood out as far as being something totally different <laughs> as far as tone and look than everything else we're seeing from the Mandalorian so far. I'm just wondering, like, what's going to be the context of this? Is it some mission that the Mandalorian's going to have to go to and face off against these uh, creatures or whatnot? But I don't know. It just caught me by surprise because it just felt different from everything we were seeing so far in the sizzle reel, just even in the other footage we get later on. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. I mean, and I had kind of passed over that when I was looking at the different locations and stuff. So yeah, now we're getting, uh, well, heck a planet that almost looks like it could be either Endor or maybe like Naboo or Kashyyyk or something, but it could also be, you know, a totally new planet, but with like, um, Hey, what yeah, if this is like the someone... canon version of the Marauders from the Battle of Endor? <laughs> <laughs> Don't play games with me. Don't play games with me. <laughs> I have no idea what you guys are talking about. We're going to um, have to change that really soon with you Yeah. Him <laughs> and I, we'll um, for see. Fun. What, what's this we'll see business? <laughs> now, I don't necessarily think you're gonna like it but you just at least have to see it yeah i have a feeling <laughs> that like i'm it, not have no heart. it seems like one of those things that you had to grow up on as a kid um no what are you talking about i don't know i could be wrong i just well, based on this, what i've heard let me let me put it this way paul i haven't heard anything good about those movies from anyone besides you <laughs> wow uh, and i believe that too because you know despite how our Love for Paul. They don't have the best reputation. <laughs> like I watched a, uh, and this is obviously just one person's opinion, but I was watching somebody's like ranking video on YouTube the other day of all the Star Wars films, and he included like the Clone Wars movie and the Ewok movies, and he ranked the Ewok movies below the holiday special. See, no, that's, um, just that, that's just he's just he's just trolling. Now, and again, I'm like I, I'm not taking that word as you know gospel truth or anything because I know there are people like you that love it, but. I don't have a whole lot of faith in it, but maybe one of these days I'll <laughs> give it a try for myself. We'll see. Well, no, no. We, what we'll do is we'll record an episode of The Saga Continues, and it's going to be you watching the Ewok movies for the first time. So it'll be like a commentary slash Kyle's first time watching it. 
We, we could. It <laughs> It'll be a very slow news day. But <laughs> hey, we are, after and, after December, we are going to have three years until the next Star Wars movie. So you never know. Oh, it's going to happen between that time. It has to. Yeah, <laughs> we have. This to. is how this is the Star Wars movie that's going to fill the gap. Yeah, exactly. This will be our version of the Dark Times. But it'll only last three years. As we get the Mandalorian, a Cassie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I mean, it's come on. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I think we've covered pretty much most of the stuff from the Sizzle Reel. Although just one other thing I wanted to bring up, because you guys were talking about uh, space and like how much that might play a part in it. We do see a new Starfighter design here um, that looks Kind of like, and this is just a concept art shot, but it, the first thing I think of is it looks like a backwards Y-wing. Um, or almost Ooh. like an X-wing with like just big engines and no wings on the back. Um, but it's a pretty cool, sleek looking design. And then we see like an Imperial fighter pilot um, with like a, 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 at least I'm assuming it's an Imperial pilot. It could be something like the guy in Rebels who has, or not Rebels, in Resistance, who just wears an old uh, Imperial uh, fighter pilot helmet. Um, and it's hard to tell if he's flying the same ship or if it's a different ship, but then he's got like teeth painted on his helmet and stuff. So that makes me think like, again, even if we're not seeing big full-blown space battles, um, that we will get to see like some new ship designs and some exciting space, at least skirmishes or chase sequences or something like that. Um, and you know, I'm a ship guy and a space battle guy. So any of that kind of stuff that we get to see, I'm going to be super excited about. Um, and then there's also concept art of the Mandalorian with a jetpack. Um, that may be, I mean, I'm assuming that's probably something that's going to come along later in the series, um, that maybe we're going to see his, his, uh, outfit and his arsenal and his weaponry and his gadgets and stuff kind of evolve over the course of the series. And maybe he'll pick up things along the way that he needs to complete certain missions. Um, but I mean, again, who doesn't love Mandalorians with jetpacks, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. And there's another bit of concept art, which um, I'm kind of wondering if it's just, you know, a placeholder there. But you see two Mandalorians kind of sitting down and the armor for one of them, the color really looks like Boba Fett. Now, I'm not trying to say, oh, Boba Fett's definitely going to be in the show and that's him. But it just makes me wonder how how many Mandalorians we are going to see in the show with their armor on. And just how amazing that's going to be visually. <laughs> and just Because mm. the show is called The Mandalorian, so I know it's makes you think maybe it's just going to focus on the ones and see as the main character. But I think it would be awesome. We do see a bunch of other Mandalorians in their full gear. I mean, maybe that's something that'll say for the finale where there's a bunch of them in a big battle, which would be amazing to see in live action. I can only imagine, but it was just kind of cool to get a little glimpse that even if it's just concept art, that the idea of their seeing multiple Mandalorians in their armor in the series should be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, I found the shot that you're talking about. And it is, I mean, it's hard to tell if that's supposed to be Boba or if it's somebody else. But, um, yeah, and I think, like, I love the idea of seeing multiple Mandalorians. I love the idea of revisiting Mandalore and learning more about the Mandalorian culture and history and stuff like that. Um, and I definitely see that as a possibility for, like, the future of the show that, you know, again, maybe it just starts out with this kind of simple premise of this Mandalorian just being a bounty hunter and being off on missions and trying to capture his prey and, and all that kind of stuff. And we get introduced to, you know, his crew and these other side characters. And then 
maybe towards the end of the season or maybe just in future seasons, he runs into other Mandalorians and gets pulled into stuff going on back on Mandalore and maybe has a similar arc to like Sabine and Rebels or, you know, who knows what could uh, tie into it with, you know, Death Watch and the Darksaber and, and all the the sort of tidbits of Mandalorian history that we've gotten so far. Um, but I would absolutely love to see that, especially now that we're finally going to see like the siege of Mandalore play out in clone wars. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think, you know, again, like that right off the bat, that's not something that I'm expecting them to really delve into just cause that doesn't seem like the premise of the show for now, at least for where they're starting at. Um, but I would love to either see them fully dive into that storyline later on and have that be like a plot of an entire season later down the line, or just get hints and bits and pieces of Mandalorian lore and culture and just slowly build on that along the way, which I'm sure probably is going to happen too. I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I'd bet there'd be more than one Mandalorian in the Mandalorian. Like Mandalorian armor. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And again, I mean, we see a, a concept art here where there are two of them um, in the frame. Right. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think they're, yeah, I, I, in my opinion, I think we're going to get it. Yeah. I, I hope, I hope I'm right. And I hope I'm not wrong, but yeah. I mean, that could just be a great cap off to a first season. You know, you like to end your seasons with a bang on your finales and imagine a group of Mandalorians uh, fighting in a battle with that cool armor, I mean, that would end it with a bang for sure. <laughs> so I could see that oh, totally sure, be something yeah. that they'll save the, saving for the finale of the season. Mm -hmm. Now, ultimate fanboy wish list for what I want to see for this show, live action Darksaber. Dude, I, I, yeah, it's not going to happen, I don't think. No, I, I wouldn't bet against it, really. Maybe not this season, but like I like where you were going, Kyle, about building on the history we already know about with Mandalore in future seasons of maybe there's a reason he goes back there for season two or three or whatnot. And again, with Dave Filoni being heavily involved in mm -hmm. this show, it's, you know, makes it hard not to think that he would pull in a lot of the stuff he already established for the history of Mandalore in the Clone Wars and Rebels. So even if it's not heavily focused, it, I could totally see someone just picking up the dark saber and igniting it. And as it says a little Easter egg or something, and then turn it off and put it back. Even if it's just that, it would be pretty awesome. But if, if they are able to incorporate it in another battle for Mandalore or who's, for who sits on the throne on, on the planet, I mean, and to be the new ruler, that could be amazing to see in live action. So mm -hmm. the potential is there, but again, you don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves in the future season and what to expect, but that's what makes the show so exciting. And with Dave Filoni being involved, there's so many possibilities that we can get further down the line with the series like this. Exactly. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but with Dave involved, I would not rule anything out. Um, all right. Well, let's jump from that and talk about um, the scene that they showed um, where it's the Mandalorian meeting with uh, Grief Karga um, and he's telling him about a, you know, a mission that he has for him. Um, and they're in, you know, a seedy looking bar and, um, he, you know, gives him the name of a contact. He goes from one place to another, walks through this marketplace where, like you were talking about, we see the, the Kowakian monkey lizard roasting on the spit. Um, and again, just really capturing that Star Wars atmosphere, uh, you know, walks down an alley, goes in this mysterious see, doorway. My hope has now the... is that 
there's a battle that rages on in this village here, and it pushes that cage over, and that quacky monkey lizard escapes. <laughs> does not <laughs> suffer the same fate. <laughs> Tim's uh, uh, fighting for the monkey lizard justice. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh boy. Um, and then he goes and meets with uh with Werner Herzog's character. Um, and okay. I'll, we can kind of break this down more, and Paul, I'll let you kind of talk about your thoughts on it, especially, you know, being there, but this is the one thing that I kind of have some reservations on. There's some really cool aspects to this scene, um, but there's also a lot about it, there's just something about it that feels, it almost feels like a big budget, like, fan film. Like this scene in particular, especially just the sort of the pacing of it, it feels a little slow and it's really exposition heavy where they're Mm -hmm. sitting down and just talking about the details of this job. And it's like, uh, you know, give me a name. Oh, I can't give you a name. Oh, I can give you I can give you this tracking chip. And then, you know, I can only give you the target's age. And they're getting like into really nitty specific details and just kind of sitting there talking and hashing it out. And it doesn't feel like it has a lot of tension or a lot of propelling the story forward. It's kind of like, let's wait, just wait. sit here and talk and with throw a Warner lot of Star Herzog? Wars details in here. Are you talking about with Warner Herzog? Yeah. Dude, I couldn't disagree with you more. I mean, the, so again, I know the music is only temporary and, but when I was watching that footage, now, you know, my wife is not a Star Wars fan by any means. And I'm very selective when I show her stuff. I showed her that, that whole sequence. And she said, oh, I'm actually interested in watching that because it's not because there is a grittiness there because there is kind of like a mystery. There is some kind of buildup that they're not that there's there is a mystery there. I think that people are are in it's enticing you. And I think that's what I was saying earlier, Kyle, is that I think that the dialogue is interesting because I think you've got this the way it's shot, the way it's written, the, the actor Warner Herzog is acting his butt off and like to me, it's all there. I I think in fact, that was really more intense than I was anticipating. Like the fact that when he gets up and he says that, you know, it's glad that, you know, the man, uh, the, whatever is back with the Mandalorian and he doesn't say anything. Yeah. He just kind of, he just walks off and there's, there's a heaviness to that whole scene. I'm curious what your thoughts are, Tim, because I thought that scene was brilliant. I thought that that was a great example of, yeah, we're going to get lots of great action in this, in the show, but that was a great indication of what kind of drama we're going to get with a guy in a helmet. And I think, you know, if, if this was a uh, early 2000s superhero film, they'd take the the helmet off and have him act with his helmet off. They don't do that. (laughs) It's, 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 he's with his helmet on. And I think it, the fact you can convey that, at least in my opinion, you can convey that emotion with the helmet on with, with the opposite of a great actor and slash a documentary director in Warner Herzog. Uh, I mean, that's pretty impressive. I, I think it was a great example of what you can expect from the show. Yeah. To be honest right now, I, this is one of the scenes I wasn't able to watch before we started recording. So it's been a while since I actually seen the whole thing play out but um see i guess i'll be somewhere in the middle of it when i first saw it i was just heavily into just seeing this footage and kind of what you were saying paul just seeing the mandalorian in a conversation with his helmet on you know just looking awesome and kind of getting more of a backstory and what's going to be happening in the series and what his job's going to be but at the same time i can kind of agree a little bit with what kyle was saying how 
how like I think context is real important as far as you know seeing the whole episode and how it's flowing because just I guess as a preview clip to show off, you get one conversation with him talking to Carl Weathers' character, and we you know get a little stroll through the marketplace, and then we're into another uh, conversation, you know, a sit down conversation with another character. So maybe that's why this kind of being our first full blown look at you know how the first you know five or seven minutes of footage of how the show was going to play out. Maybe why it kind of felt like it dragged a little bit and maybe towards the end of this conversation with Werner Herzog's character. So I can kind of understand that as far as, you know, maybe kind of mixing it up a little bit might've been better as far as showing off the first glimpse of the, of the series and kind of what to expect. I mean, again, we got three different types of footage shown here, a scene, a sizzle reel behind the scenes, sizzle reel and a trailer. So it's kind of hard to be too nitpicky about this one being a little slower than the others, but, at the same time, I was engaged in what I was seeing here and just looking forward to what happens next after he walks out of that room. I do really like, I mean, no surprise here, uh, the effect of stormtroopers, seeing the stormtroopers in this room too and how they're not your typical stormtroopers really. Yeah, because exactly. Yeah. You see one holding just, you know, a hand blaster, which you never see stormtroopers hold. And I just really get the impression and one of the things I'm excited to see more about is just, you know, what remaining troopers are like because I, I don't think these are stormtroopers um you know are still with the empire or loyal to the empire i think these ones are don't know what to do with their lives they're just looking for work or any way to get yes. some money mm-hmm. protecting people and they have the armor so that's what they're doing they're just being bodyguards now i just love that aspect of it and seeing them in this new light and kind of being unsure of themselves in a, in a way when they draw their guns and the mandalorian is has them all at bay so just little touches like that i really liked in the sequence as well so um yeah overall i don't have too much to complain about it but i do know where kyle's coming from as far as maybe having it you know feel a little slow when you compare it or when you watch it all just these two moments here when at the beginning in his first conversation then you go into this one but again it kicks off into a really cool trailer so (laughs) i'm sure that's how the series will be where we're gonna get slow moments like this and then it'll kick into some cool action but again not too much to complain about here but i did have that little feeling when watching it the first time that "Mm, this is kind of interesting that they decided to have these two scenes be the first ones that they show off well yeah and i will say completed though too i mean let's think about that it's probably the most completed they have that's true yeah, that they, they could show us. But now, but I, I will say, also- l- let me just jump in here real quick, Paul, because I want to say the first time I watched this, I was interested. Like I was I was very interested and obviously sort of captivated by just watching new Star Wars for the first time. Fair enough. Um, yeah. But then it was just going back and rewatching it and really kind of dissecting it. I mean, I don't think this is going to be like a for me personally, this is not going to be a standout scene of the series by any means. Um you know, again, like it's cool to see it for the first time and just kind of get the setup and everything. But I feel like um, I, I think given context within the story and the fact that this is just going to kind of be some expository dialogue at the beginning that's going to send the Mandalorian off on his way. And we're just going to build to bigger and better things from there. I think by I'm assuming this is going to be from the first episode. And I think by the end of the first episode, this will not be you know, one of like the most memorable scenes or anything that ever, that everybody's going to be talking about. So, I mean, maybe I just had my expectations kind of set too high for it with this being like the first full scene that we're getting. Um, Cause again, like I saw it once I was fully engaged, 
you know, was just like as engaged as I would be watching any new Star Wars thing for the first time. And then just upon, you know, rewatching it and rewatching it and dissecting it for details and stuff, it was like, eh, okay, it's kind of, eh, could be better. I want to see what else they can do. Um, so this definitely like doesn't have, it's not like dampening my hopes for the series or I'm not like, oh, the whole thing is going to be long and boring and talky. It's just like, I think this is certainly not the best that they're going to have to offer by any stretch. Well, I don't think it's the best they have to offer, but I think it's a great example of what you're going to get a small tidbit of what an example of what we're going to be getting in the show on a down, like on a down, uh, I want to say a downbeat. That's not really what yeah, I'm like, well, to say. in the, the slower, quieter moments. Exactly. And I think yeah. if this is what we're going to get, sign me the frick up, man. Seriously. So, because that's solid. I mean, you're going to have to have things that, you know, you're going to have to have lots of scenes like this. It can't all just be action, unfortunately. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I so, mean, yeah. I think, yeah, and I'm I'm totally all for, you know, good story and well-written dialogue and all that. It's just, there's something about this that, I mean, again, I think they absolutely nailed, like, the tone and the atmosphere and everything. But just some of, like, the nitty-gritty details of the dialogue and the stuff that they were talking about, like, either didn't interest me or maybe like as a hardcore star Wars fan, like worried me that it wouldn't interest like general audiences um, mm -hmm. or at least not like hook people. Like, again, it felt like it was just, it's a little bit of uh, maybe just a little bit too much exposition and just going into a little too much detail. Whereas it feels like, like this is a five minute scene that I felt could have been maybe like three or four minutes. Um, well, I'm agree. Disagree on that, but, all but right. I, I, yeah, I, I, which I is fine. But I'm still very interested to see, you know, A, if this is, you know, again, like this might not even be the final cut. I'm interested to see, like, if anything changes between uh, sure. now yeah. and when it That's airs. And, um, you know, that could maybe be why they, uh, you know, haven't released this to the public yet. But also, you know, I have full confidence in John Favreau and Dave Filoni that, um, you know, even if some stuff like this maybe isn't completely my cup of tea that the show is still going to have much bigger and better things to offer. Yeah, totally. I, I feel you. I feel you. Because um, then if we move from that into the sizzle, re or the, the sort of teaser trailer um, that plays right after this, this is just chock full of awesome stuff. And it's like a minute and 15 seconds and just one shot after another. Um you know, starts off with, uh, you know, just a really cool looking shot of that ship. Um, and we see, you know, just more cool landscapes, more cool shots of the characters and their armor and stuff. Um, we see like a confrontation between uh, the Mandalorian and Cara Dune, um, which is presumably going to be like one of their first meetings and they're fighting each other uh, right off the bat. And, uh, you yeah, know, that's a cliche a cool we see scene. often, but. When it involves cool-looking Mandalorians, I mean, come on. <laughs> I'll take that cliche. It was yeah. a cool fight sequence like that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, and then, um, but yeah, and we know that, like, they're eventually going to end up being allies. But, yeah, to see them start off at odds and, like, they're grappling on the ground, they end up pointing their blasters at each other. So, obviously, it's like it's going to probably be like a stalemate and they come to respect each other as warriors. Um, but, again, we see a lot of cool looks at, imperial stuff in here we see some death troopers oh man <laughs> uh, we see this yeah. new stormtrooper with a flamethrower um just yeah tim i'm sure yeah. those imperial designs and seeing all that stuff just got you out of your seat 
Oh yeah, I mean, let's go back a little bit to those that shot of the Death Troopers. I mean, we got some behind the scenes look that uh, Death Troopers were gonna be in the show, but man, just seeing them again because after Rogue One, I wasn't sure if I'd ever see him again in live action. I know we were gonna get him in Rebels, and they still look cool there, but just seeing him again, you know, standing behind that Imperial officer, just looking as awesome and amazing as they did in Rogue One, and why I was so hyped up and always geeking out about them whenever I saw new images or new shots of them from trailers or TV spots from Rogue One. I'm getting that all over again. I could not be more excited. It just the opportunity to get some more cool action with the Death Troopers. I mean, I cannot wait. So again, this is another one of those things where despite it being bootleg quality, just seeing them on screen again got me really excited. And then that new trooper armor that you talked about, the one that's shooting out a flamethrower. And this one, it kind of reminded me of that, um, I think it was the second, but remember those cinematic Old Republic trailers we got when the game was first launching? We got the ones of those Republic troopers in the forest, and they kind of had armor. To me, maybe I'm not remembering it right, but it looked mm-hmm. pretty similar to the helmet of this one, especially with the red coloring. And I kind of said before how that always bugged me, that trailer, that those <laughs> troopers' <laughs> armors looked so similar to clone trooper armor so far back, but uh, I digress. But it was yeah, still kind of cool to see that look be shown here and then just seeing him in action with that flamethrower. And there was a bunch of, I'm trying to look at it right now as I have it going, there's a bunch of dead body stormtroopers. So it looks like on the ground before that flame trooper comes. So it looks like a battle happened. But what I'm trying to look for is like any of those bodies, death troopers. And I think I see maybe one or two that are on the ground there. So looks like they're going to see some action, but hopefully all of them don't get wiped out. Just (laughs) one battle that we're going to get. Hopefully I see death troopers sprinkled out through multiple episodes of the season. But yeah, this was definitely a highlight for me of this trailer, just seeing all the cool new Imperial trooper, new and old (laughs) that we're getting in the series. I just cannot wait to see more of it. So that was awesome. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if again, just if, armor and troopers and stuff are your thing like getting you know stormtroopers death troopers and obviously mandalorian armor as well as uh just you know new trooper designs and alien designs and uh probably a lot of different like soldiers and mercenaries and stuff heck they've even got jawas in here that look intimidating like they've got red (laughs) eyes instead of yellow eyes and they're pointing guns and they look creepy i know yeah (laughs) that stood out to me as well to see them it's the way they walk like you said the look the red eyes like what's going on with these jawas here are these a different type of species of jawas so this is how jawas always look when they're angry or they're about to have some get into a fight or whatnot so it was definitely an interesting visual look for the jawas that we never seen before but you know it made jawas look even cooler yeah maybe it's just a new clan or something um but then i mean we see the mandalorian like shaking hands with nick nolte's character um, which I think that's the first glimpse we've gotten of him so far. Um, and I don't know like what role he's going to play, but he's just looking like big shaggy bearded Nick Nolte. Um, <laughs> and then uh, again, I mean, I love just the different aliens we're seeing in here, uh, you know, Twi'leks and Rodians and all that stuff that we get to see again. Um, there's a really cool looking, I'm assuming this guy's like a bounty hunter or assassin or something. He like pokes around a corner firing twin blasters. And then he's also got at least one, I can't tell if he's got one or two blasters mounted on his shoulder. Um, and so he's just coming around a corner, like guns blazing. And I'm sure, you know, it's going to be cool to see that guy in a fight. Um, 
more cool space shots where we do see uh, the Razor Crest, which is the Mandalorian ship getting chased by uh, some other ship that's firing at it. So we'll see, you know, some kind of dogfight there and then a shot of um, his ship jumping to hyperspace. I guess it actually, lo- it also looks like he's got a droid pilot that's flying him around. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, we see him riding on, or actually, oh, yeah, that's right, you pointed out that's an Ugnaught. Uh, riding on the Blurg. I guess that's the first time that I noticed Woo! that that w- wasn't the Mandalorian on there. Um, <laughs> I don't know if the Blur can handle a Mandalorian armor on his back. <laughs> eh? I mean, we know they can handle full-size people. Again, we see, uh, you know, the Twi'leks on Ryloth riding around on those all the time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but how heavy is Mandalorian armor, though? I don't know. <laughs> it's a freaking good? Blur. It's a beast of burden. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know the density of Beskar, Tim. Jeez. <laughs> um, my apologies but. but that yeah i mean again just lots of cool action shots in here just chock full of like explosions and people pulling guns on each other and all this kind of stuff um we see cara dune like in some bunker firing a huge heavy turret uh at a bunch see, of storm- that looks like yeah i was gonna say that looks like the part or where i was talking about the aftermath of those dead body stormtroopers before the flame trooper comes out mm-hmm. i think she's the one who takes out all those troopers probably <laughs> that's why they're bringing the flame trooper in which would make sense because that shot with the flame trooper it looked like he's just torching a wall and i was like wait what is he shooting at um so yeah maybe he's trying to burn her out of wherever she is because it looks like she's you know kind of shooting through like a narrow slit in a wall or a bunker or something and then the money shot we see, and I know, I know there's still some debate as to whether this is actually IG-88 or just a different IG droid standing out in the middle of the street. And I can't, is he shooting uh, stormtroopers or just like regular dudes or civilians or whatever, but just the way that this guy moves and spins his torso around and fires his blasters and stuff is awesome and really reminiscent of uh, Heisinger from the Clone Wars when he yeah. does his yeah. like spinning maneuver and just firing his two blasters and stuff. So that's going to make for some really cool scenes. Yeah. It looks like he's just firing at, I don't want to say random people, but not Imperial troops. It looks like maybe it's other bounty hunters or that are part of the guild or something, but it doesn't look like they're in any type of armor. So yeah, it's going to be yeah. interesting to see what his role is, but that's an awesome shot. But I got to say the one I think is even cooler than that is the one right after where the Mandalorian just walks out of that room and just starts blasting that stormtrooper real casually kicks the next one it just looks like a really cool action sequence then we see him with the mandalorian grappling rope just pull a stormtrooper and gets one of the blades and just electrifies another one i think you even see part of the helmet of the trooper get knocked off like the chips of it come out flying off so mm-hmm. i mean it pains me to see stormtrooper helmets be you know broken and to pieces like that but it's still a cool action beat regardless and again just seeing the Mandalorian armor and all the capabilities it has in action again, it just looks so cool. I mean, we've seen it before, but there's just something about seeing that grappling <laughs> rope tie someone up and this, and in this case, pull a trooper back. It just looks so cool seeing that again, because it has been a while since we've seen that in live action. And it's just capturing all that coolness that we expect to see from, you know, a Mandalorian and why, their armor is so cool, not just visually, but also for all the gadgets and the stuff that it can do in a fight. I mean, to see it be put to use probably like never before, because I'm sure over the course of, I believe they said it was eight episodes, um, it's going to, you know, they're going to want to 
space it out maybe and just save some surprises for what the Mandalorian suit can do. So I think over the course of the season, we'll see it do a lot of interesting and cool, unique things that we haven't seen a Mandalorian suit do before. And but I think this is just a little tip of the iceberg in this little trailer right here of all the cool stuff we're going to be able to see this character do in his armor. And I can't wait to see more. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, he could maybe even like upgrade it over the course of the show and add new weapons and gadgets and stuff like that. But I mean, I think maybe aside from like Clone Wars or Rebels, definitely in live action, this is just going to be the most like by the end of the first episode, it'll be the most amount of screen time that Mandalorian's ever had. Um, I mean, I guess Jango Fett had a decent amount in episode two, but I mean, this is the first time that we're seeing one as a main character. And it definitely seems like this show is going to be really action heavy. Um, so yeah, I think just by that nature, like we're going to get to see a lot of really cool new things that we haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, just, I mean, some of those shots you were talking about where he's fighting the stormtroopers, where he, uh, I actually just had a thought here cause there's one where he's like fighting a couple stormtroopers in close quarters and it looks like he's kind of got one in a chokehold and he stabs another one coming at him with an electro staff. And it, now that we've seen all the stuff from Jedi fallen order, I'm like, we haven't seen anything to indicate that there are purge troopers in here, but we know that's the mm. kind of weapon that a purge trooper uses. Um, but actually now I'm also wondering, do you think maybe that rifle that he has that's got like the two prongs on the end, does that maybe also double as a shock staff in close quarters? Yeah, I would think so. Well, you know where that's from though, right? Oh yeah, yeah, from okay, uh, the holiday sure. special. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I had no idea. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you didn't, Paul. <laughs> I've but, never, full disclosure, I've never been able to make it through the holiday special. It is rough. Well, well hang on. I haven't either, but have you, seen, have you seen the animated segment with Boba Fett? Oh, for sure. Okay, yeah, oh, that's what he's talking oh, oh, about. Oh, 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 oh I'm talking, I thought you were talking about a hand blaster. Oh, yeah, of course. No, 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 yeah, yeah. we're talking about the uh, his rifle that they basically took from Boba Fett's concept in... Uh, in the holiday special and uh, oh, I for mean, sure. translating that to live action, which I think is cool because honestly, like, and I had heard from people online that like, that was <clears throat> like the only part of the holiday special that was worth watching. I've never tried to watch the whole thing all the way through. I really have no desire to, I've seen clips of it and I'm just like, why does this exist? Um, <clears throat> but <laughs> no, I've no. seen that clip of, of uh, the Boba Fett scene. And I think that's actually pretty cool. Mm. And I love how, that shot of him holding it is how the trailer ends because you know, <laughs> they're playing to the fan base in in the room there where the, everyone's going to know what that is and what it signifies and have that be the last shot of it. I can imagine that it had the effect that I'm sure they were attending <laughs> Paul being in that room. Everyone just kind of mm. geeking out seeing that weapon again with a Mandalorian holding it to close out the trailer it had to be really cool. And I'm sure. Oh, yeah erupted in applause afterwards. So I, I thought that was a great decision to have that be the final shot you see in the trailer. It is really cool. Oh yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, we all knew that, 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 that weapon was in the mo in the show because of the Instagram post mm -hmm. by, uh, John Favreau. So, I mean, yeah. it wasn't a surprise, but it, it's, I almost feel like it's one of those things. I, I feel like that weapon specifically is one of those things where they're thinking because because uh, in my opinion they had to fast track the show, in a sense mm. where they had they're like okay we got to make the show Mandalorian we have a lot of old concept art we can use I think we're already seeing that influence throughout the uh, throughout this uh, the show they're using lots of original trilogy tropes things and you know whatever 
and they're kind of running with it. And I think what's what's interesting is that I feel like this weapon is kind of a, a great blend of we don't have a lot of time to develop a lot of weapons for these people. So let's go back in the bank. And I bet it's one of those things where probably a Dave Filoni said, hey, guys, why don't we just use the Boba Fett weapon from the holiday special? It looks cool. Make it live action. And then they're like, yeah, that's genius. OK, there you go. Bam. Done. I mean, like it, it's. That kind of things. I bet like Favreau probably wrote like he had some he has some like rifle thing that he uses, and they're like just use that thing. It's perfect. Star Wars. It's, it's again like the Blurgs. You're bringing in stuff that already exists, but you don't have to you know develop it any further than it already is. If that makes any sense. You know, right. it's already you know we're just going to go ahead and use that as our basis, and we just kind of go from there. A quick decision, if you will. And I think and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's actually and I'm. I'm assuming that's what why they put it in there. I doubt it's because they they really wanted it. It's maybe it's a little bit of. I both. think there might be a little bit of that. No, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. No, I think that was intentional and not just in like a time saving sense, but especially knowing that that John Favreau is such a huge fan of like the original trilogy and of the character of Boba Fett and Mandalorians. Yeah. Um, I could totally see him being like, "Hey, let's take this obscure thing that I mean, obviously, like we fans know what it is, but I'm sure." there are a lot of like, you know, casual fans are, that are going to watch the show and have never seen that before. Um, and it's just gonna be like, Hey, that would be a cool weapon to bring to live action and uh, get to do some new stuff with that. Yeah, no, I, and I, I'll preface it. I'll preface by saying that I think that, you know, it wasn't like they did. They chose the weapon as a way of saving time. I feel like it's, it's kind of a combination of both. Like, they they said, hey, you know what? We we need to get we need. They probably sat down in a meeting and said, we need to develop weapons and we need to do it fast. And I bet they probably said, you know what? We've got tons of stuff we can just use now. And they probably just had a bunch of stuff. And they go, do you want to use Boba Fett's old original rifle? That's perfect. Use it. That's great. That looks awesome and it's it's retro and and everything kind of a thing. If that makes any sense. So, so yeah, I, I think it's it's one of those one of those things. If if uh, that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, I think Tim and I are probably still on the page of like, it was just an intentional thing to throw it in there, but Fair enough. Um, yeah, I don't know. Or I don't know. Maybe I won't speak for Tim, but I think it's that. <laughs> no, yeah, Speak I think, for Tim. <laughs> no, I, I kind of agree with that where it just seems somewhere I could totally see either John Favreau or Dave Filoni say, hey, you know what would be great? Remember the holiday special <laughs> that weapon Boba Fett had? We could totally bring that into live action here. I mean, we got to do it. It's almost like with those things, it's too perfect not to use it in this show. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but at the same time too, they probably go, Hey, you know what? Yeah, that's great. And it works out too, because that saves us some time on designing and developing new weapons. It's something that we can make pretty easily. So I think it's kind of a happy meeting between <laughs> the two points as far as where and why it happens. So it's probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. But regardless, um, it's really cool that it's there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I it's it looks way cooler than anything from the holiday special brought into live action has any right to be. Now, if we see him using it, sitting on top of a giant dinosaur in a swamp, oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. that would be the ultimate callback. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know he's going to be, I mean, we see him on a dewback. Which yeah. is a giant dinosaur in some respects. Hey, yeah. It's not Maybe a, he, it's yeah, not a brontosaurus, but... <laughs> yeah that could be a little nod where you know it's not the same creature but he's the same pose or the same entrance with him using it that yeah could be exactly a way to do i that. mean just yeah. seeing that concept art that concept art of him posed up there it definitely evoked that imagery to me yeah um but that's 
pretty much it. I mean, aside from, like I said, uh, just that other short little kind of behind the scenes clip that they showed of like the guys from ILM just working on the ships and stuff, which was also cool to see, but didn't really reveal anything um, about the show itself. Um, but I mean, that was it, right? Like, Paul, there wasn't any other footage that they showed at the panel that we didn't no. you know, that didn't end up on YouTube or anything, right? No, it, it's all there. I, mean, okay. there's, there's a, I, I always say it's in three different sections. There's the... Uh, the the sizzle reel with the interviews. There's the actual footage, um, the, or the sh the kind of segment from the uh, the show itself, a clip, and then there's actual teaser trailer. Like those, and those are the only three things they showed. And I'll, it was really funny because I remember that Favreau, after we watched the 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 clip and the trailer back to back, he's like, "You guys want to watch it again?" He goes, "We can't." We can't show you the whole clip again because it it, it takes too long to bring up, but we'll show you the, the trailer again. I was like, oh, dang, I want to watch the trailer. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, yeah, that was, uh, man, this is this show is going to be great, man. I, I really can't wait for this thing. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, I think, I'm like, if I had to rate all three of those based on, like, how excited they got me for the show, um, I mean, I'd say the sizzle reel is probably like a nine- and then the clip is maybe like a seven, and then the teaser trailer is like a ten. Um, so overall, just great batch of stuff that we got to see, and a really, you know, kind of diverse look at everything, you know, all together between those three things. I feel like we have a good idea of what the show is going to be, of what the just sort of the tone and feel and the visual style of it is going to be like. Um, we've seen some action scenes, we've seen some dialogue scenes, we've seen some environments and locations and characters and stuff. So. I I cannot wait to uh, you know get to watch our first live action Star Wars series in November. Yeah, I mean we're all excited to see the series, but to be honest, I'm just really chomping up the bit and just more anxious to see some footage in normal HD quality mm -hmm. <laughs> instead of this bootleg footage, which hopefully won't be too long now. I think uh, the the guesses is that it's gonna be shown at d23 it'll probably have a presence there and i'm hoping that this time whatever they show will be released online as well and it's got me thinking i don't know like, how, how, what do you feel about it kyle because i know paul since you already saw it at celebration in the best quality possible do you want them just to kind of release this stuff in hd and good quality or are you kind of hoping for something new to be shown at d23 because to, to be honest i'll be totally fine if they just release the stuff that, that was shown at Celebration and got bootlegged and we just have it in good quality finally because I think watching it again will almost be like a new experience or seeing it again for the first time, be able to see every detail and see it in the quality that it was meant to be seen. And at the same time too, that will be enough because you don't have to worry about showing too much more new footage because I'm going to treat this the same way I'm going to treat the movies when we get closer to release. We're not wanting to see too much and hopefully it'll be interesting to see what they're marketing is going to be for it how much are they going to release as far as trailers and clips and whatnot for it but hopefully it'll be something that's not too overexposed but at this point or by the time we get to d23 anyway kind of hoping it's just uh this stuff that we got and just re-released again so that everyone can see and enjoy it and just get really hyped up for it and maybe get one more trailer before it launches or maybe we'll only they won't release all of these things but uh, they probably won't release the clip, I would imagine. I have a feeling that'll probably be a celebration exclusive thing, mm -hmm. but maybe the behind. I'm kind of guessing if we're only going to get one, it'll probably just be the behind the scenes scissor reel because that seems to be the thing they release at D23 because we know this happens for the 
movies that we've that had a presence there as well. It's usually that's when we get the behind the scenes videos. So maybe it'll be the same for that. But I'm hoping we get that teaser trailer too. So it'll be interesting, but I'll be totally fine if it's just this stuff again. And now they just release it to the public finally. So um, yeah, no worries if they don't decide to put anything new on my end. I just want to see this stuff in as best quality possible. Yeah, I'm a little torn because like I definitely do want to see this stuff released in high quality, but I also would think like if they're going to show new stuff at D23 like there might be, there're probably going to be some people at D23 who were also at Celebration who might be disappointed seeing the same stuff twice. Um or even, you know, for all of us who've seen it like online already. Um There'll like, be a new trailer. All there'll be yeah, no Yeah, I, I think if, they have to yeah. show something new. Like at, no, at the very yeah. least, like maybe a longer cuz cuz this teaser trailer is only like a basically a minute long what they showed at the end of the video. Um and so if anything I would think that we'll get maybe a more full trailer, like maybe a 2 minute trailer or something that probably has a lot of that same footage in it but then also a lot of new stuff. Um, or again, maybe even like a new sizzle reel that has some of that same stuff, but some new stuff in it as well. So, um, I guess I'm kind of hoping for a mix of both because I, like I said, I would like to see this stuff released and get to finally see it in good quality. But then, especially cause D23 is going to be what in August. Yeah, I think. And then, you know, that's going to be only like three months before the show airs. And so you think by that point, they want to be kind of ramping up promotion a little bit. Um, so if we, Like, I might actually be surprised if we haven't seen anything official by then. Like, you know, they could maybe release this stuff online around the time of San Diego Comic-Con or something like that. Um, Or I don't know if there's, you know, some other big event or if they might just do it on a random Tuesday like Star Wars sometimes does. Um, I would like to see this stuff released in high quality at some point. But also, I would be surprised if they don't bring anything new to D23. Heck, even if at D23, if they show this stuff again release it to the public but then also show like a new scene because you're right like i think this this clip that we see here like the the five minute like dialogue scene i think that is going to be a celebration exclusive i wouldn't expect that to end up online but maybe they'll bring a different clip from a different part of the episode or a different episode uh to d23 and maybe Mm -hmm. won't even share that online um but i just think somewhere in all of that they're going to show something new that we haven't seen before whether it gets released online or not who knows um, but I think, I think they'll bring something new there. And then I think we will get something released online, whether it's something new or it's just this stuff. Um, cause by that point it's going to be getting close enough that like they want everybody to start being able to see it and get excited for it. Yeah. At the very least, whatever they show, something has to get released online that day. <laughs> I don't think they could have it again where they show stuff from the series and nothing gets put online again from it. Yeah. Um, well, all right. I mean, that's that's all the Mandalorian stuff from Celebration that we finally got to talk about. Um, At least I we know... got it done before the series premiered. <laughs> oh, definitely. Um, oh, geez. <laughs> well, not only that, but we also got it done before they sh- released anything new. Like, yeah. <laughs> imagine if we put this off for a while and then they like released, you know, some new trailers or something. We hadn't even talked about this yet. Um so I'm glad we finally got to talk about that breakdown, all that footage and stuff. I know we've got a lot of listener responses about The Mandalorian as well that we'll get to at the end of the show. Um, but we just got a couple other news items that we want to talk about. Um, and the first, this has kind of flown under the radar, 
Um, and this is something that, like I don't think was even announced on StarWars.com or anything, but this is more like a behind the scenes uh, film production kind of thing um, that Lucasfilm has hired uh, the Rise of Skywalker producer, uh, Michelle Rejwan. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but basically she's working with J.J. Abrams on the Rise of Skywalker right now. She's one of the producers on the film. And she has been hired um, as the senior vice president of live action development and production at Lucasfilm. Um, now, what that means exactly um, kind of has yet to be seen but so this is i'm reading from an article on variety right now again this was reported by like a lot of different movie sites and everything but i as far as i've seen there wasn't like an official press release from star wars or if there was i missed it um but it says she'll oversee a new slate of feature films and episodic series for lucasfilm and disney plus and continue to produce with kathleen kennedy on the star wars franchise so basically seems like you know, again, Kathleen Kennedy right now is kind of overseeing everything Star Wars related. And you hear her name a lot more attached to um, the live action projects anyways, and not so much on like Clone Wars and Resistance and stuff like that. But still, I mean, she's head of the company, so she's running everything. So it sounds like Michelle is going to be reporting directly to her and then just going to kind of be directly in charge of overseeing just the uh, the live action production slate. Um, and uh, I mean, we know that the next set of Star Wars movies are like three years out from now. So I'm sure she's going to be heavily involved in that. Um, I don't know how much of a hand she has in what's going on with the Mandalorian right now, but I'm sure going forward with like the Cassian Andor series and stuff um, that she's going to be, uh, you know, overseeing that as well. But, you know, I mean, we'll see how like directly involved she is in all of this. I've heard, you know, some people saying that she, like, this is basically Lucasfilm trying to have their own Kevin Feige, uh, like Marvel and kind of, you know, spearhead everything in one direction and kind of have like a, a creative overseer um, kind of steering the ship um, and thinking that she's going to be fulfilling that role. Um, and other people saying like, you know, she's just like the live action vice president. So Kathleen Kennedy doesn't have to do as much or whatever. So, I mean, I don't know. We'll kind of see how this all plays out. I didn't think this was that big of a deal just because for right now, I'm like, well, this, you know, like it's going to be years before we see sort of the ramifications of this or find out um, what this all means for the future of Star Wars. And also the fact that this didn't seem to be that big of an announcement or that like it, there was no direct announcement from Lucasfilm or from StarWars.com made me think like that this isn't like a huge change in direction for them. Um but I know you guys might feel differently. So what did you think? Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, I thought this one is interesting for Lucasfilm to do this, especially now at this point. But at the same time, I'm glad they're going in this direction to have someone, you know, like you were saying, just be in charge of one aspect of Star Wars, the live action department. That's the movies, the TV shows, all the live action stuff coming down the pipeline. I think it is a good idea that they're going to have someone oversee that. Because I know that's been a topic for discussion for a while now as far as, like you mentioned, Kyle, Star Wars needs its own Kevin Feige and all that stuff. So um, the fact that that corner of Star Wars, the live action stuff, is getting that overseer, I think is a good thing. It's just, you know, a matter of time to see, you know, what uh, her leadership in that role is going to produce. And it's going to be the new movies coming out after episode nine, like you said, Cassian and whatever other TV shows they have planned down the pipeline. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I know there's been some talk about, you know, she has, you know, 
her background as far as you know engaging in Star Wars because everyone's saying you know Marvel Kevin Feige is a big Marvel fan so he's perfect for the job but um there's been discussion like does she love Star Wars enough and I mean that's not for us to decide I'm sure she loves the franchise and being able to work on it's got to be a big thrill so I mean just congrats to her to getting this position as far as being in charge of live action Star Wars I mean I'm sure that's a job she's not taking lightly is going to uh, treated with the utmost importance so it's just going to be interesting to see what the future holds and you know how she's going to do in this job and i'll be anxious to to find out and definitely will be there to see you know um her what her leadership in this role is going to produce as far as new star wars content so but it was a surprise to read that when it got announced and like i said it was kind of under the radar and wasn't something that i was expecting now maybe something after episode nine and all that dies down and once discussion really starts talking about what's next in the future of star wars so um little surprise it happened before it came out but um it was something that i'm glad is happening i just thought it might have been happening a little further down the line but uh, it's gonna be interesting to see um, how she does taking over live action star wars front so yeah we'll just have to wait and see Mm -hmm. well for me i i've kind of I'm very much in the middle about a lot of this, about regarding this person and their hiring. I, I went off a lot about this in uh, in Blaster Cannon, so forgive me for people who who listened to this before um, <laughs> that episode before this. You know, for me, I, I I'm still in the middle about everything regarding this person, only because she doesn't have enough, ex- I think, experience to show us like to be 100% confident. But I also don't think it that should be a problem either. And I, I, in my, in the podcast with blaster cannon, I brought up the comparison to Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige was brought up and worked uh, as like a producer on superhero films, like the X-Men. And I believe a lot of those like things like spider, I don't think he's on Spider-Man, but the X-Men films and he cut his teeth doing that. And Marvel just gave this guy who had, you know, granted he did work his way up and, you know, being an assistant into, you know, his, producing and has a huge passion for the characters but when marvel first started marvel studios first started they took a giant loan out and kevin feige was the leader he wasn't like he had this giant credibility of with him you know it, he had nothing it, it's very similar to her essentially maybe he had a few more things under his belt but not not like it's been that much more he like like her got his his start doing things at a very you know early early age or seems like or at a you know younger age and kind of worked his way up and then to a point where he convinced these higher ups that you should let this guy or this you know this person handle these b list characters or even c list characters if you will um in my opinion uh like captain america iron man thor ant-man etc and take these characters and make them into, you know, successful big budget films. And it was, it's it, looking back at it. Like if you, if, if the internet was even bigger at that point, or if the, if Marvel if superhero films were even bigger in comparison, I don't think if people or whatever, I think people would have freaked out if they knew a Kevin Feige was taking over because he didn't have, it's not like he had a ton of experience. Yeah. He had some experience, mm-hmm. but I think, but I think my point is this, the outrage is that, it's not a slam dunk, like obvious choice. And I think that's what people are rebelling against. And I think that we just, you know, and to be honest, I just don't know. And I I think that it's, it's wrong either way to say, this is a great hire. I wouldn't say it's a great hire. I don't think think it's a bad hire. I don't think it's a bad hire. We just, it's one of those things where they're taking a chance on someone 
and we have no idea if they're going to be well, work well or not. Because the way I see it is this: I, I for me, the way I, I prefer is to have you know someone who who loves the material, who genuinely loves the material. I have no idea if this lady has a genuine love for Star Wars. I have no idea. I'm assuming she does, but I have no idea. But if someone, you know, but if someone comes in and doesn't have any idea what they're doing or whatever of, of Star Wars, it's harder for me to think that they might do well or not. And to be honest, this it may sound very uh, weird for me to say, but either one can't tell you if that person is going to be successful. And I'm just being serious. I, I think you would tend to think that if they didn't love Star Wars as much as other people, it may not be as good. But to be honest, maybe someone who's out, outside of Star Wars making decisions might be the best thing. I don't know. We just yeah. have no idea. Well, yeah, think of uh, – I can't remember the guy's name. I think it's Tony something, right? The guy that basically stepped – like did all the rewrites for the reshoots for Rogue One. Tony, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and exactly. He, he basically said in interviews like – he basically took credit for saving the movie and said that the reason he was able to do it is because he was able to come in with an objective point of view because he wasn't a Star Wars fan and – like honestly didn't really care that much about it and was just focused on, okay, how do I make this movie into a coherent story and just make it, you know, a good entertaining film that also happens to be a star Wars film that I don't really care about. Yeah. And I think, and that's exactly where I was going with Kyle. It's the fact that sometimes if people are too close to something, it's not, it, it, again, there's, I'm not saying it's all the times, just sometimes, sometimes those things, those things, you know, people who are seem like perfect matches don't end up working out. You just don't know. And it's just, what I want to see is I just want to see good films. And I think that they're headed the right direction in a sense to where they're getting someone who's not Kathleen Kennedy in a sense. To, and again, not that she did a bad job necessarily, but what I think it's good that they're focusing on she needs someone in there in the trenches that is going to speak for her and manage these stories as from a very uh, from a leadership standpoint and say Star Wars needs to go this direction and et cetera, et cetera, because we just don't know. We just don't know what, you know, what maybe Star Wars needs right now. And, I, you know, and to be honest, I don't even know. If, I, mean, I think Star Wars fans know what we want, but what we need and what. Star Wars needs to survive. Sometimes we don't know. And I've, I've argued with my friends about that a lot. And those are two very different things. And I'm very, and again, I, I but I don't think at the same time, not listening to fans is the answer either. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of a combination. You've got to know when the fans are right. And when the fans are wrong, if that makes any sense, like when the fans are, again, they're, they're saying things too, they're, they're too close. And that's something I've had to deal with as a fan myself. Yeah, no, you know? you're absolutely right. Like there are definitely times to listen to the fan base and then there are times when what the fans want is just fan service and not actually good storytelling. Yeah, and that's something that I've, again, I, I've had to really deal with in my life as a Star Wars fan. And I, I don't mean to get serious here, but th it is, it very much is. Like I couldn't tell you the time, amount of times I've told Tim that I, would be, I was really disappointed about the Skywalker saga ending and, and Ray being a rando and how that, that really that honestly affected me as a fan because that kind of altered my vision of what Star Wars was with the sky, about the Skywalkers and things like that. And it did, it, it kind of, Last Jedi really messed me up as a fan for what I wanted the direction to go. Now, granted, like, I don't, you know, right now where things are, I'm excited because I'm, I'm excited where potentially they're headed on multiple levels where the rise of Skywalker, um, obviously the other things we're getting in, in, in the, in Star Wars, et cetera, et cetera. But 
I, I have to tell you that, you know, sometimes it's hard. And even like the prequels, you know, you know, I want to say this for, you know, they weren't exactly what I wanted either. But now, you know, looking back, I'm glad we got what we got. Even though, you know, at the time, maybe I wasn't completely with the exception of Revenge of the Sith. I, I'm looking back. I'm like, no, what George did was genius. And maybe I'll look back and think, you know, Last Jedi is genius. I have a good friend who tells me that constantly. And I tell him there's no way in hell it's going to happen. But, um, you know, at the, at the same <laughs> never time, say never. No, never say never. Exactly. That's and that's the thing. We just don't know. And I think what this what this person um, is it Michelle Rajawan. Is that her name? Um, I, I apologize. Is it her first name? Michelle, right? Yeah. Yeah. What the one thing that Michelle's got to do is she's got to know who she can trust and, and and also trust her instincts of where to go. And I think one thing that Kathleen Kennedy learned from this whole experience, and I think why she has this job in the first place, the Michelle Rojawan, whatever her name is, um, is because I think Kathleen gave her writers a little too much freedom. And I know that that's kind of weird to say in in the industry of corporate conglomerations. But it definitely feels like she, you know, she really wanted to give the, the the artist their, and I say, you know, directors and writers as artists, but give them a full palette like George did. I think that that was the respect that she was going for and thought Star Wars needed. But I, what I think she underestimated was the fact that the reason George could do that and for the most, for the most part, get away with it is because he knew exactly where he wanted to go with the stories because he was Star Wars. And I think now, in retrospect, she realizes, you know, maybe I should have had a little more tighter grip on things. Um, and that's why you had this person in the role. So I so I look at all that, and I think that's where we're, this is kind of going. I think she's trying to get a more cohesive universe together and avoid the sequel trilogy problems. Because And when I say problems, I don't, I, cause I don't think they're as troubled as obviously the spinoffs, ironically. But I think commercially what she went with, you know, obviously the Force Awakens in, in The Last Jedi were huge commercially. But I think she's starting to see the, the ramifications of not doing that may have caused some damage long-term potentially. Potentially. Again, we don't know what what problems The Last Jedi did, if, if any, until The Rise of Skywalker comes out. Because... Solo, I don't necessarily blame completely on Last Jedi, but I definitely think it plays a part of. I think the Rise of Skywalker's performance will definitely we'll see the, the true ramifications of Last Jedi, and which again may not be that great. But I think critically, she took she definitely took a bashing a little bit for Last Jedi, and I think that some of it was wrongfully done, and I think some of it was maybe rightfully done because I think she definitely let people have too much freedom. And I think now she's going to have someone she can go off of, and they're going to be the ones kind of dictating, directing where the stories are going. And then that now they can kind of have a more cohesive idea because that person will be in charge of, no, that doesn't fit the overall themes of what we're doing. Go back to and rewrite that. Whereas I don't know if they were doing that with, with Ryan Johnson. I'm sure they did it at some point. Like Ryan Johnson couldn't do whatever he wanted, but I'm sure they gave him so much freedom that they trusted the fact that, Hey, this guy writes Star Wars. He's a, he's a great director. He's a good writer, and we trust him. And maybe they there was so much trust they didn't really realize. Oh, you know what? We probably should have went and revisited that a little bit more than I that you know than we did. So that's what I think we're seeing here. And I and I know again I'm not saying it's because Last Jedi sucked or because it did. I don't think the Last Jedi was terrible. I don't think that at all. I think it was. I always tell people I'm very 50 50 on this movie. I'm schizophrenic. I have no idea what I think about this Last Jedi still. <laughs> But I, I definitely think that with this, with especially when you put the the critical backlash of 
uh, a big part of fan of the fan base, which people can deny all you want. People out there who blog and and think that that's only like ten people in their basement. You're you're wrong. There's a lot more people who are unsatisfied with that movie than you'd like to admit. It's not as it's not as big as some people like to admit, but it's somewhere in the middle of between the two the two extremes, and that's just the reality. Mm-hmm. And to ignore that is I'm sorry, you're, you're wrong. But what I will say is when you take the idea that the last Jedi was more controversial than the force awakens. That is a fact. Yeah. It was more controversial than just about any movie since the Phantom Menace. Yeah, exactly. So you take that and you also take the fact that all the problems they had on the, on the star Wars story films, the uh, anthology films, which I like to call them. I think you put all those things together. This is why Michelle has a, has a job there. Her job is to make sure the stories from a filmmaking standpoint are developed, I think, the right way. Again, the Kevin Feige, whether or not this person's Kevin Feige, and again, I, I want to, I, I keep going on about this, but I have to say, like, the the advantages that Kevin Feige has, I will, I will, I will say, maybe I wouldn't say he's overrated by any means of the imagination, but I will say that Kevin Feige has an easier job than I say Kathleen Kennedy and Michelle Rojawan, or again, whatever her name is, because the simple fact is like Kevin Feige can pick and choose what he wants to do. He can literally go to the Marvel universe and go, "Mm, I want to tell the Korvac saga. I want to take this from this. I want to take, I want to deep cut. You know what I'm going with this? And I want to take Galactus. I want to take silver surfer. Um, I'll take this. I'll take, you know, I want to take the, he can take multiple things and combine them and develop them and have, he already has the structure there. Now we have that too in the legends, but at the same time, I think that the legends materials is just, it's too, they don't want to blend them together and confuse people because it's a little bit different, right? The comics are their own thing and the movies are their own thing in the Marvel universe. Whereas Star Wars now has cross pollinated everything, which I like. I love that about it. I think we all love that about it. And going in adapting stories, you know, bit for bit from legends is a little bit dicier that way. You can, you're going to confuse a lot of people, but regardless, Kevin Feige is a lot more at his fingertips to choose from than these writers and artists do in Star Wars. And I think that, to be honest, too, a lot of people aren't inspired from the – I'm sorry for people who love the Legends universe. They're not inspired like they are from the original Marvel comic books like Kevin Feige is. The Legends universe doesn't have that legendary, no pun intended, feel to to these stories. So Uh... I think that – I no, would no, no. disagree on that, especially no, no, when it no, comes to Knights of the Old Republic. I mean, just no, no, look at the yeah. fact that they're actively developing that right now and the fact no, no, that so many Kyle, people yes. want to see it. But that's one thing. Compared- yeah, they're pretty few and far between. Yeah, no, no, I'm not. Yeah, like I will agree. There's a lot of stuff in the Legends canon and there's still people out there that are avid defenders of Legends and still want to petition Disney to bring back the old EU. Um those are the fans you don't listen to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there I mean, for me personally, I never got into a lot of the EU stuff post Return of the Jedi because I liked the idea that Anakin was the chosen one. He brought balance to the force. And then I'm like, let the galaxy have some peace for a while. Like I get that not everybody's gonna live in harmony forever till the end of eternity because that's just not realistic. I mean, look at our world, but the fact that you know, just a few years later, you've got Sith Lords coming back. You got people turning to the dark side. You got the Yuuzha and Vaughn coming in and dropping moons on Chewbacca and just all this kind of stuff. I was like, man, what the heck is this? Anakin didn't die for this. Um, 
And so I never really got into that stuff. And I know some people who love it. And I know some people who are like, yeah, it was a bit of a convoluted mess. And I'm glad that Disney rebooted everything. Um, but I like that they are taking the good elements of that, the stuff that people really did love. And they're kind of picking and choosing when and where to bring that back and integrate it into the current canon, like you see with Thrawn and with, you know, certain things from the Old Republic. And, you know, we're thinking that they're now going to go and like fully flesh that out. Um, and we'll see how much more they add in in the future. Um, but, you know, I mean, we keep bringing up the whole Kevin Feige comparison. I don't think that Star Wars necessarily needs a Kevin Feige because he started with Iron Man and then developed that journey all the way through you know, the Avengers to Endgame and Infinity War and all that. And like you said, he can pick and choose, you know, characters and story arcs from the comics that he wants to adapt. But the way that he's integrating it into the movies, like it's one movie after another that continuously builds and continuously just builds this one long continuity that keeps moving forward. Star Wars doesn't do that. Like the, the Skywalker saga did that, but it's just, I mean, it's more of an open sandbox and Mm -hmm. you can do a trilogy of stories over here and a trilogy of stories over here and a spinoff movie here and a spinoff movie there and jump around to different parts in the timeline. So I don't think you need one person overseeing the direction of all of that. And I think that's why you have the story group overseeing continuity to make sure that all that stuff fits within the star Wars canon and that you're not, you know, having stuff that contradicts itself or you're not, um, you know, retconning things or overlapping or leaving, you know, plot holes or continuity errors, but you don't need somebody making sure that like solo and rogue one and the force awakens all have a consistent tone or all have, you know, plot elements that build on each other. Cause those are three completely separate movies that take place in completely separate parts of the timeline that really don't influence each other. What I think you need is next time they start on a trilogy whether that be, I mean, we know they're finishing off the Skywalker saga, but, you know, who knows if they're going to come back and pick up, you know, do more movies with Ray and Finn and Poe in the future or do, you know, Knights of the Old Republic movies or whatever. The next time they they sit down to do a trilogy or a series of films, which we know is what the next movies are going to be, um, is a new trilogy from Benioff and Weiss. They need a at least a story outline of where that whole trilogy is going from the beginning. I feel like that's what the sequel trilogy was lacking. And that's probably yeah. what they were trying to do. And then when they let Michael Arndt go because he was taking too long on the script and JJ Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan had to write it at the last minute because they didn't want to push production back. Um, I feel like they kind of just chucked that out the window. They were like, how can we just make a star Wars movie? That's going to get butts in seats in the theater. And, you know, just introduce some fun new characters and draw on old nostalgia and, you know, kind of just bring it back to classic Star Wars. And that's what The Force Awakens was. And it's a great movie on its own, but it's not a great setup for a trilogy. Um, I would 100 percent agree with that. 100 percent. And then you had Ryan Johnson come in and do his own thing that feels like a 180 turn from where J.J. was going with it. And so I just like my biggest regret with the sequel trilogy I mean, regret, like, it's not like I'm the one working on it, but the the biggest thing I wish was different is that they just maybe had an extra year or two, maybe an extra just year of production time just to nail down the story and the script and, like, lay out a groundwork for where this whole trilogy was going and have someone overseeing the whole thing. Um, And I really hope that's where they go moving forward. And so hopefully with, with Michelle in charge, like... 
again, she I don't feel like she needs to have a tight grip on every single Star Wars story and make sure that they're all in line. But whenever you're doing a trilogy or a series of connected films that do need to have a through line in the story and follow a certain continuity or a certain tone or whatever, then make sure that that's there when it needs to be. Well, and I think that there's, I don't know, I, I you bring up a great point. And this is why I, lo- I really, I really wanted to have this conversation last week. Cause I just, this to me is like the juicy stuff that I love because you brought up a great point of the idea of Star Wars is different than Marvel. And that you kind of, it's not just a developing uh, saga as you go. And obviously there's prequels in in the uh, Marvel Universe and things like that. But you talked about, like, you know, here's a trilogy over here and a trilogy over there. And, you know, and you kind of have, kind of sprinkle, you kind of sprinkle it all around. And you can have a story in almost in any timeline for any kind of characters. And that's something that even George t- talked about when he made Star Wars. He kind of realized, like, man, I created something that's like, you can have an infinity infinite amount of stories and but i think what 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 star wars needs is and again what kevin feige has has brilliantly been been doing is he's known to cherry pick he cherry picks all the great stuff and i think what the difference is is that michelle instead of having to cherry pick like she gets she'll get to cherry pick ideas but the thing is she won't know where they're going necessarily right away and they'll develop them even further than what than people are anticipating. Like, whereas again, we know like Kevin Feige knows like what works pretty much from a general standpoint from people already when he picks things from the comic books. And I think that's, what's really fascinating for me is that Kevin Feige. And again, I think it's kind of like a, it's, it's, it's a, it's not, again, I'm not trying to say he's overrated, but I think it's something that I think people overlook a lot is that the fact that Kevin Feige just can go, you know what? I love uh, Ragnarok stories. I'm going to go and we're going to take this from, I'm going to use this from Planet Hulk. I'm going to use this because I know fans love that. Fans like that. They don't like that. So I'm not going to use that. I'm going to use this instead. And he starts taking different things and elements from those things and, and makes them his own. Whereas I think in Star Wars, you're very much starting from ground zero where you, again, you bring up that idea, Kyle, that you have, a trilogy. You you have a three films you want to make. Whereas I think in Marvel, you're just making one film at a time. You know, you have you have you already have you can lead. You already have continuity things you can kind of tie into, because you have the comic books and you already know where those things are going to tie in and how you can tie them in very easily. Whereas in Star Wars, you're starting from ground zero for the most part, and you have to kind of build your way up. And I think that's a difficult thing between Marvel and Star Wars at this point. And right now, Marvel's killing it because they're pumping out things like crazy and, and knows and they know what the audience wants because one, audience loves the way Marvel runs their films because they are they're, for better or for worse, there is a formula that works. And they're not all the same, but there's a formula. Where Star Wars is, I think people are still trying to figure out outside of Star Wars, the Skywalker saga, what exactly drives a mainstream audience to build to, to, for people to love Star Wars? And right now, they don't really know what that is exactly, with the exception of probably of more the more original trilogy you are, the, the more successful it is from a mainstream standpoint, not from a Battlefront 2 standpoint, mind you. But <laughs> from a but from that standpoint, you the more you look like original trilogy star wars the more people are going to gravitate towards it that's why they loved i think the force awakens it very much is a 
very original trilogy vibes film. Rogue One was a huge success and people rave about it still. And I think it, it's probably because it's a original trilogy thing. Now, obviously Solo didn't have that, but again, that's a whole different story in my opinion. But my point is this, I think Star Wars go, has a disadvantage in a sense to where they're building from the ground up. They're starting from ground zero. Sure, there's certain things they can use and tidbits they can have and, and whatever, but for the most part, they're going completely from scratch. And that's a lot harder than what Kevin Feige's doing, in my opinion. And I'm granted, until Kevin Feige like takes a, a completely original story, maybe makes an original superhero character and def- blow and it has the same amount of su- success as all that, then it wiped out my theory out of the water completely about that guy. But until then, I will say that my only it's not even a criticism, the only thing I will say that his job is easier, he could cherry pick and he already knows from the comic history that he has what's going to work with a lot of people and what isn't. And I think Star Wars, building from the ground up, you have a disadvantage that way. And let's see what Michelle can do building from the ground up. It, it remains to be seen if she can do it. We don't, because what I'm saying is we don't know. But we're yeah. building from the ground up. And let's see what they build. Because I think they built decent houses the first, you know, this first go around with these films. Let's see what the next set is. Let's see what, what Michelle can do with her and leadership directing these people from a uh, production standpoint and see what, what they can produce out of. Will they produce a, uh, you know, one bedroom home or will they produce a giant, huge mansion? Time will tell. Yeah. It's the perfect time to do it too, because the Skywalker saga is ending. I think again, when you're playing with those classic characters that people have loved for 40 years now, any type of change (laughs) or, progress any time seeing them again when it's that long and there's bound to be changes to the characters it's not going to sit well with everybody when we saw with the last jedi so i think with her being in charge of the new movies going forward where it's not going to have to rely on you know familiar classic characters she can you know begin and lay down this foundation for brand new stories brand new characters and not have to worry about backlash about oh you ruined this character or you're taking this character in a direction that i'm not happy with it's all kind of a fresh new clean slate now with star wars and exploring new territory with stories and characters and all that i think that's the perfect scenario to bring someone in new to be in charge of the live action side of things at lucasfilm so yeah mm-hmm. but yeah like we said i mean time will tell sort of what the outcome of this is i mean we still again we're not even sure exactly what her role is exactly and how sort of expansive it is and if it's even as big and important as we're kind of speculating but um hopefully this sure. is hopefully this is a change for the better and uh leads to uh some great stuff down the line i mean and we didn't even really talk about this we were mostly focused on the movies but she's gonna uh you know be overseeing the live action series as well so um whether that's you know cassian or the future seasons of the mandalorian or uh whatever else they've got in the pipeline <coughs> kenobi um yeah. hopefully she can <laughs> oh, make that happen um but yeah we'll see and just you know hopefully she ends up having a, po- a positive influence over all of it i'm sure another big part of you know her role is going to be you know kind of making sure what happened with a lot of the movies changing directors and writers doesn't happen <laughs> as much and hopefully not at all moving forward to have you know someone who's just focused is only on you know these live action Star Wars movies where they can you know get on the same page quicker and make sure she knows what she wants from the directors and writers to avoid situations that happen with Solo and Colin Trevorrow and Episode Nine and you know the Rogue One reshoots and all that type of stuff. So just to kind of avoid all that stuff that 
uh, plagued a lot of the first few movies we got in this Disney era and to make sure that doesn't happen again. I'm sure that's going to be a big focus as well, just to make sure everyone's on the same page from the get-go before things really get going on here. Yeah, for sure. Man, I just thought of this. Like, I'm so glad that yeah, I mean, it's too bad that, you know, there even was drama behind the scenes on episode nine, but I'm so glad that they got rid of Colin Trevorrow when they did rather than, I mean, can you imagine if this is the end of the Skywalker saga, it's the last film in the nine movie saga and they fired the director halfway through and then they're like scrambling Jeez. to bring JJ Abrams back and stuff. Like I would have a very bad feeling about that. Um, yeah, especially if they decide, oh, we got to hit that 2019 release date. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, no, for that, you'd have to push it back if that was the case. Yeah. Can I and can I just say, too, that really quickly, I think the Colin Trevorrow being fired is more over in my. Yeah, I, I don't think it's as like as grievous as, as we think it is. I think it's more. Just, I think there's a lot of different things going on in that. I, I, you know, obviously there were script problems because they had multiple script people on the movie right before they fired him. But it, I think to me, for what we've heard from like other people out out there, it sounds like Carrie Fisher's passing really put a wrench in everything. Mm. And I think that to me is what made did him in ultimately. So, you know. But like, like you said, it's 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 better that they, we they did what they did, and JJ's going to close it out. And I saw yeah, exactly. And I, I'm I'm not even saying that I'm glad he got fired. I'm just saying oh, okay. that if he had to get fired, I'm glad it happened when it did, and not like a significant way into production, like on Solo. Yeah, no, totally. No, and that's and that's something that and that's a good point. I, I kind of took it as like you were saying. Thank goodness he was let go. Oh, I, I got no, I got no, no. I'm not. Yeah, I, I'm not hating I, on him or anything. I'm just my saying. Bad, my bad. My I'm bad, just my saying bad. that for all this stuff to be happening behind the scenes, like the timing of it was kind of opportune. And I'm just glad that they didn't have to completely shift gears and change directors and stuff. Like all the stuff that went down behind the scenes on solo. And it just sounded like this big mess. I'm glad that that was not happening on the final film of the Skywalker saga. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Great I don't point. Think, I don't think we'll ever get of it. I'm still dying to know what his story for episode nine was and how he was going to end things. Because I mean, he didn't give a lot of interviews, but I got to say, I remember we were talking about it on episodes where he never did talk about it. I like, you know, his enthusiasm, the things he was saying, describing what he was going for with the final chapter of the Skywalker saga. He didn't elaborate too much, but a lot of it, you know, I can't remember exactly, but it gave me a good feeling knowing, okay, he's taking it in a direction, you know, kind of similar to what JJ's saying about now, you know, closing out all nine movies and not just one trilogy, but he was really driving home that point and making sure, you know, characters got satisfying conclusions and whatnot, especially with Ray. Remember, he made some comments about that <laughs> before he was all the last Jedi. So I just would really love to know what he had in store once episode nine comes out and we do know what it, the movie and how it ends the Skywalker saga. But I don't know if there Lucasfilm would ever want that to getting out. If somehow, I may, but... I probably not. <laughs> If I if I may, judging from what we're kind of hearing, like the fact that Palpatine was always going to be the villain from Episode Nine, and that was something kind of already from from George left over that they're kind of using, mm. you kind of wonder maybe if they maybe they were planning on using George's kind of original ending for this already, like that was already kind of in the plan, like in the plans. I mean, that's what maybe, they say. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, like kind of people... scrap his ideas for characters and everything and kind of start from a totally different place, but like work their way towards the same ending he was working. Well, what's be real here, too? I mean, you know, and this is something I, we talk about slow 
uh, slow things to talk about in the future. Uh, these art of books that we're getting, we want to do a shows on for all the uh, art of books that we all love. Um, if you look at these books, there's more, there's more of George left in there than we anticipate. Yeah, especially and, Last Jedi. I got to be yeah, honest, reading that yeah. one. Yeah, and I think that, I think ultimately, what there was there, they were probably potentially going different directions. But there, because if you look at The Force Awakens, the, the that art of book, like it pretty much like those characters are all pretty much there. They evolve obviously them a lot more, and I think there's some different directions they take things maybe. Um, but at this, like, like for instance, I think Luke, Luke always is being in exile was always there. That mm. was, that, mm. that's a fact. The reason he's there, it may be a lot different and everything, but, um, I don't know who knows at this point, but my point is this, is that there's, there's probably more in line that they probably kept more stuff with it. I think Ray definitely has been an altered a little bit. I think she definitely, was always meant to be part of the Skywalker family in some sort. I think, I think that just for me, cause there's videos of George, like right before episode nine, episode seven, like there's that weird thing where, um, JJ's going through, uh, different, uh, like videos on an iPad and it, one yeah. is George <laughs> Lucas and he goes, JJ, what happened to George, Darth Vader's grandchildren? And he just starts laughing, you know, and says, you made this SH up, George, you tell me. <laughs> and so you got to wonder if Ray was always supposed to be, and then, and then that was something they kind of altered the whole, like, our hero can be anybody, which again, I'll argue that that's not really the point of the Skywalker saga, but whatever. Um, but, uh, but again, I, I think that there's what, what maybe what they're going to end up is with, with, again, with the name, like the rise of Skywalker, we all know the name of Skywalker is going to be ending something. And the fact that, you know, they're bringing back something that, that George was originally going to do with the emperor. He had potentially had met with George and Ryan Johnson to end the series. It kind of feels like that's probably, this, it's probably going to end the same way. I think Colin did is what I'm trying to say. I think they're probably all going to end somewhat similar. Whereas if Ray is a biological parent of, or parent or a child of, of a Skywalker descendant, then there, it's going to mean something. And I think that's, I think that's what JJ and I think even Colin Trevorrow, cause I think Colin Trevorrow was definitely, you could, I, I sensed him hinting at yeah. is not just some average schmo Jedi that people, mm. which by the way, really baffles me. People are like, well, is a regular old Jedi. Why can't she just be like a, a Yoda or something like that? It's like, don't you know Yoda's like special? Like Yoda's like super powerful. It's like, yeah, it would make a lot more sense. You know, I mean, but people try to act like Yoda's just some average Joe or like Mace. It's like, no, these people are like, we're special. That's the whole point. <sighs> anyway, um, but you know, so it's just interesting to see. I think that Colin definitely hinted towards that. Like, hey, like I understand that like, I've got six pre or six, I got eight previous films to go from and we want to intertwine everything. So yeah, I, I I think that the column was probably more in line with JJ than we probably anticipate, in my opinion. Yeah, we'll see. I hope that one day we get uh, maybe you know some more info on like what George's original treatments for for what the sequel trilogy was gonna be, and uh, see how closely all of it ended up being to his initial you know plans for it and stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we'll get that one day. Um, but a lot of interesting stuff to chew on regarding just the future of, uh, the live action films and all that. And we'll see how all that stuff plays out. Um, 
last bit of news I wanted to mention here before we wrap up and we'll get to, uh, you know, the listener responses and stuff like that. Um, obviously on our last episode, well, actually, by the time you guys hear this, I think our last episode will be the solo commentary because that's the thing we're going to put out next. Um, and then we'll put this episode out. Uh, but the last episode we've recorded, we talked about all the video game stuff after uh, E3 and EA Play and especially, uh, you know, the new gameplay footage from Jedi Fallen Order. Well, uh, as of us recording this today, they just released the extended gameplay demo, um, which is the full, you know, the longer like 26 minute version that we had only heard described in articles and stuff. Um, and this shows like the full scene at the beginning with Cal taking over, uh, the Imperial Walker and blasting the Imperial troops on Kashyyyk and meeting Saw Gerrera for the first time. And, um, it's, I, I like this a lot. I mean, I was pretty impressed with the gameplay footage the first time around, but I like that this, uh, just shows, um, I mean, it gives you some more story stuff. Um, you find out more about why Cal and Saw are both on Kashyyyk in the first place and sort of what their mission is. Um, you get to see more of Cal's ship and meet his crew. We meet uh, Seer, who's his Jedi mentor, and uh, the alien guy that flies the ship. I forget his name. Um, but it's cool. I mean, you know, like I said, we get to see more of the environment. We get to see the ship. We get to see the menu with the skill tree and all that kind of stuff, which looks really cool because it's very reminiscent of the world between worlds, which I guess they've straight out confirmed that it's not. Like, Cal's not actually That's going into the world between worlds, but it's <laughs> definitely inspired by that. Um, and just seeing that whole sequence at the beginning of him taking over the Walker, uh, is just really cool to get to see the interior of an AT-AT and then to see the gameplay of him, you know, using it to blast the Imperials there on Kashyyyk. Um, and it's a different playthrough too. Like obviously the second half of it is pretty much the same gameplay demo that we saw, uh, the first time around at E3, but it's a, it's, you know, a, a different playthrough. So it's, um, you know, it's not just that same recorded instance. So you get to see a little bit different usage of force powers and whatnot. Um, it's not all the same enemy encounters and stuff that you've seen in the other videos. So uh, if you liked our last episode and, uh, you know, if you're looking forward to Jedi Fallen Order as much as we are, I would definitely recommend uh, taking the time to watch that full gameplay demo. Unless you're like Paul and just don't want to watch anything before it comes out. Um, That's right. Which is, which is fine too. But I get the feeling that this is going to be a pretty lengthy and meaty game. I mean, this is 26 minutes of gameplay on Kashyyyk that I think in the Game Informer article they said was maybe 15 to 20 percent of just what's on that planet. Um, so I think we're in for, you know, several more hours of uh, of gameplay throughout the entire game. So it's not like, oh, I know everything that's going to happen now. Um, I mean, you get to see a lot of cool stuff and a lot of cool force powers and like I said, some cool environments and characters and stuff like that. But I think the final game is going to have way more than what we're getting uh, a first glimpse at right now. Yeah. If you can't watch all 26 minutes of this new gameplay footage, just make sure you watch the beginning of Cal taking over the ATAT. It looks incredible. I mean, him just swimming in the swamp of Kashyyyk and you're seeing the walkers, you know, in front of you amongst the mist and the fog and the environments. It just looks fantastic. It looks like a movie pretty much. That's how awesome it looks. And mm -hmm. then, just when he gets in and the point of view you have of inside the cockpit of the walker um, mowing down enemies, it looks fantastic. It's such a cool way to be in control of a walker like that. It just looks phenomenal. So if you can't watch the whole thing, just make sure you check that out. That blew me away. And I was already impressed with the demo we got before. But seeing that whole sequence, it's, I cannot wait to play that. It looks so good. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, so yeah, there's that if you want to check that out. Um, we're obviously all really excited for it. In fact, I think, Paul, you might have been the first one to pre-order it, right? Yeah. So um, I was. it was funny because I was out with my wife and we're, we live by um, pretty close to a target, which doesn't everybody, but um, we live close to this target and we were going, she's going, perhaps she was looking for, or she's looking for rugs or something, but there's also a uh, GameStop that I've been going to since we moved, we bought this house uh, years ago and I got the, the original battlefront for or the newer 2015 battlefront. Uh, the kind of the, the the game that bonded us all together. Me and Tim mm. were already buds, but <laughs> together. You know, um, but I got that there. I bought the last Battlefront game there. Uh, I yeah. So I bought. So I kind of keeping that tradition. Now I want to say for the record, the reason I went and bought it at GameStop is and not just buy it online digitally, which is obviously the easiest ver- way to do it and probably the most practical at this point. But Honestly, I wanted to buy it. Be not honestly. People who who know me on Twitter will know that I have my Canon shelf. I have to have a physical copy of it. So, uh, so on the day it comes out, I won't just be able to come home and download it and have it ready for me as soon as I sit down. I'll have to go to GameStop, wait for it to be brought to me, and I already paid for the whole thing, thankfully. So, uh, but yeah, it was just funny because I I went in and it's so weird because I went in and got like uh, I thought I'd bought two other games there before. And they were even account with us. I'm like, oh yeah, it's this, you know, here we go. And, oh yeah, you're not in here. I'm like, I've bought two games here. <laughs> How do you not anyway? It's so weird. But I, I, I paid for the whole thing. I convinced my wife I, you know, to let me do it. And that wasn't very nice. So yeah. So I'm really excited to to play this thing and I, I'm ready to play it, man. I'm I'm Jonesing. I I wanted to be, which by the way, when does this come out compared to the Mandalorian? Well, this comes out November 15th. Right. Um when is the when does Disney Plus launch? I know it's in November. November. I forget something. the exact release. Date. I want you gotta wonder, is it the same like time? Like the same week? Hang on. Uh no, Disney Plus launch is November twelfth. Well, yeah, I know. So, three, so you'll be able to watch the, so you'll be able to watch the first episode <laughs> of The Mandalorian before you get into Jedi Fallen Order. That's insane, man. Yeah, but yeah, it's gonna be lots a good week. <laughs> of, that's going to be a big Star Wars week. Although I don't I don't know what day of the week the 12th is. I'm assuming the 12th that's early is in a the Tuesday. Week, OK, yeah, because then, uh, yeah, the 15th would be a Friday. That would make sense. So, yeah, that's going to be a heck of a week for us Star Wars fans. But by the way, the, the fact that because Fallen Order has or, um, the Battlefront games didn't they were on Fridays before. Oh, I, I think don't two. I think two was if I remember two. Right. I don't remember because I remember I had to go to work both day, both days the next day. In fact, I remember that when the first game came out, I took that day off. I took the two days off. Hmm. I was like, I need two days because I was so. I mean, that's when Star Wars was like The Force Awakens was coming out, and I needed a break at that point anyway. But um, I was like, I need two days off, and I literally played that original Battlefront game to death those first two days. <laughs> oh, we're well aware. Yeah, You're like. Yes almost at the level cap before I even hit level 10 or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Um, well, yeah. So, I mean, we got some, some good stuff to look forward to uh, there in November for sure. Um, with the Mandalorian and Jedi fallen order. And Hey, you know what? Hopefully battlefront two will still be going strong by that point as well. And we'll be a month away from the rise of Skywalker. So buckle up. Oh yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Buckle this. 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for news stuff for this week. Um, obviously not a whole lot of stories. I mean, we just recorded an episode a week ago, although you guys won't be hearing this one for a little while, but um, definitely wanted to get back on and finally talk about The Mandalorian. So uh, Tim, I know you put out the feelers on Twitter and Facebook and stuff and uh, you know got some reactions from our listeners about The Mandalorian as well. So you want to go ahead and give us those? Yeah, definitely. It sounds like everyone's just as excited about it as we are. So we'll start off on the Twitter reactions. Uh, first up is Brian Bailey at Balls and Play, who says, I think I'm most excited for Gina Carano's character and her story arc. It would be very interesting to see her start off as a prejudiced Mando, believing to be you know, a Mandalorian. To be a Mandalorian, you have to have pure Mandalorian blood. Also, like Gimli at the Council of Elrond and Rivendell, but then to see those beliefs challenged by Pedro Pascal to where she calls him my captain, my king, like Boromir at the end of the Fellowship slash beginning of the Two Towers in the book. And, well, um, with Dave Filoni at the helm, knowing how big of a Lord of the Rings fan he is, maybe it won't be that direct uh, correlation, but there might be some Lord of the Rings uh, parallels we may see in The Mandalorian, and I wouldn't put that past him at all. Yeah, so that's we'll see. True. I mean, we we as far as we know, she's not a Mandalorian, but it does seem like they're going to be at odds with each other to mm-hmm. begin with, and then you know learn to trust each other. So, yeah, could be some. Even though she's not a Mandalorian, she you know maybe respects their culture and their history, and maybe doesn't take him as a pure Mandalorian, yeah. something like that. Yeah, and I actually would like to see the show address kind of that discrepancy because obviously the first thing you think of when you think Mandalorians is like. Boba Fett and Jango Fett and then the Clone Wars went and was like oh they're not actually Mandalorians they were just bounty hunters in Mandalorian armor um and then of course went on to introduce the whole culture of Mandalore and everything so it'll be interesting to see if they address that at all and how this character fits into that whole hierarchy like is he actually from Mandalore or does everybody just call him the Mandalorian because he's this bounty hunter that wears Mandalorian armor so uh we'll see you know if if uh they kind of flesh that out in the story too yeah I hope so and then Paul Stewart at Mr. Peace Do says, I'm excited. I'll, it'll be fascinating to see the state of the galaxy after the Battle of Endor. And then Dylan Sparks at underscore fives with two V's underscore says, it seems to be the harsh and gritty side of the Star Wars universe. And as someone who's always pushed for an R-rated movie, I feel like this is the closest we'll come. Pedro Pascal is a great actor, and I'm super pumped to see the universe post episode six. Yeah, that's something we never talked about really like, how, I guess, not necessarily dark, but how much they're going to push the mature content in this series. I kind of have the feeling they're not going to go too far from what we see in the PG-13 movies. I don't think it's going to be like, you know, the Game of Thrones level, even the Marvel Netflix shows, probably not that. But I wonder if they'll push the edge just a little bit, but I don't know. Right now, it's not something I'm counting on. Violence, but but I Mm. wouldn't expect much else. Yeah. Maybe just a little more, I don't know, Realistic might not be the right word, but the way they show the balance, violence is a little more hardcore or how it's portrayed to have it feel where you feel it more. Than yeah. we get. I mean, so. we're going to see a lot of people getting shot. That's for sure. And, and oh, yeah. you know, we saw helmets getting broken with stun batons and, you know, we might see some people get torched with flamethrowers. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't think I mean, I definitely don't think it's going to be on the, the level of like Daredevil or Game of Thrones or anything like that. Yeah. And then Hassan Skerelberg says, at, or I should say, at Fetmatic says, I'm ready for some bounty hunter action. Empire and rebel vets trying to survive and adapt to the galaxy now. And then Chris McGuffin at uh, The Curse of Chris, who also sent us a nice tweet a few days ago, letting us know he's getting back into the Star Wars podcast and checked out our show and really enjoyed it. So 
glad to, you decided to check us out, Chris, and that you're enjoying the show. Glad to have you along as a listener. Yeah, definitely. But he, he says, I've longed for a Star Wars live action series since the days of Underworld. I think this will satisfy the needs of a lot of fans who may feel burnt out on traditional Star Wars content, like what we've seen with the sequel trilogy and animated shows. And then Derek BB at Derek JBB says, I'm probably as excited for this as I am for a new movie or just everything across the board. Though I'm particularly excited about seeing IG-88 smoke some fools. <laughs> and then uh, Chris chimed in and we were talking about how that's probably not going to be IG-88. And then Derek says, just calls him IG-TBD then. <laughs> that is the correct droid designation to apply to until we get the official name. I like it. IG-TBD. Yep. That's his new name. Until <laughs> until we find out otherwise. Yep. And then on Facebook, Brian V. Klein says, I've been super excited about the show and ever more so after attending the panel at Celebration. I'm probably most excited about the man with no name aspect of the show. No, wait, the costumes and time placement. Actually, probably the cool storyline. Come to think of it, I'm excited about the whole thing. November can't get here soon enough. A lot of school you got to experience at the panel like Paul did, Brian, like, as we talked about, like, can imagine like the feeling of just seeing all that awesome footage and just being super excited for it. it had to be one of the best feelings in the world i can imagine as a star wars fan so glad that enthusiasm's there yeah and then definitely. rich rich brockwell says the mando is the one for me i'm beyond excited for the cast looks great and for what i've seen it all looks on point feloni behind the wheel and live action only uh, bodes well for the star wars future and then jason morgan he actually um, I'm not sure if this has been reported too much uh, as far as those who've been going to Galaxy's Edge. Again, I've been keeping away from a lot of the Galaxy's Edge stuff just to keep my experience as pure as possible when I go for the first time. But he lets us know about an Easter egg he found. He says there is an Easter egg in Doc Ondor's shop. I think he sells one of the, a lot of the item shops and the stuff you can buy at Galaxy's Edge. Um, he says there's an Easter egg for the Mandalorian there. It's right near his little cage. And it's um, he is up on the wall. It's the helmet and the gun slash pike weapon that he uses. So um, for anyone who's going to Galaxy's Edge and hasn't checked that out yet, we can get a little sneak preview and an Easter egg from the Mandalorian at Galaxy's Edge, which is pretty cool that they're already planting the seeds and stuff from the show already there, which has got to be awesome to experience when you're there, if you're able to find it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, those are all the comments about the Mandalorian. Thanks, everybody, for chiming in. Again, glad to kind of hear that everyone sounds as excited for it as we are we just can't wait to see more so that's it for the response to the mandalorian but i do want to give a special shout out to our longtime listener jeff falcom aka jedi holmes as we may know him from our past episodes but um he and his son jeff actually reached out to us wanting some you know tips and pointers about starting a podcast that his son's been thinking about doing and we were able to offer any advice that we were able to and stuff and tips that you would need to get a podcast going and he took it and him and his friends were able to start their own podcast and there are three episodes in right now it's called forecast and it is on youtube only right now they haven't gotten the fee for itunes just yet but there's three episodes on youtube and there's different with different topics about living in costa rica where they live talking about the mcu and it is in spanish the podcast so for those who know how to speak spanish it'd be something to check out to Here's um, a younger audience, I guess, perspective on stuff like the MCU and all that geeky stuff. So wanted to give a shout out to Jeff and his son for getting his podcast going and glad we were able to offer any advice that we could to help you guys get it started. So 
wish you guys success in doing it and just have fun with it. That's the most important thing about doing a podcast is talking about what you love and just having fun. So glad you were able to get it off the ground. It was really cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's cool to be able to influence, you know, new podcasters that are coming up after us. Um, but you know, as far as advice, just like step one, have something fun to talk about. Step two, ramble about it for three hours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, there, there's a little bit more to it than that, <laughs> but really, you know, if you have people that you have fun talking with and something that you're passionate about and love to talk about, um, that's, that's the, uh, the backbone of it. So that's why we're still here doing it after almost seven years now, which is crazy to think we've been doing this that long. Yeah. Um, that was a big thing in November. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but thank you to, uh, all you guys as always for chiming in with your thoughts and comments and engaging with us, um, for listening to the show and for giving us your support and for, uh, interacting with us on social media and everything. We always greatly appreciate it. Um, that's going to do it for this episode. And as always, you can check us out online. We're on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Wars. The saga continues. Our website is starwarstsc.com. And if you want to send us email, you can send us email at starwarstsc at gmail.com. Um, also, I haven't mentioned this in a while, but obviously we're on iTunes as well. I'm sure a lot of you listen to us on there. And if you want to uh, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes, if you enjoy the show, uh, we would greatly appreciate that as well. I don't think we've gotten any new iTunes reviews in a while. So that always helps us out as well uh, to just, uh, you know, get our name out there and get uh, positive feedback from you guys. Um, and also, as always, be sure to check out thunderquack.com for all the other awesome shows in the Thunderquack podcast network. Um, but that's going to do it for now. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed listening. Thank you for tuning in. We will see you next time. And may the force be with you. See you next time, everybody. Godspeed, Rebels. Godspeed, Rebels.